The following podcast contains spoilers and adult language. We recommend watching the movie beforehand, but hey, that isn't your bag? No worries. You do you. Brought to you by our patrons over at patreon.com slash manatees. If you'd like to support the show, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all proceeds after hosting costs will go towards actual manatee habitat preservation, because we like to pay it forward by giving back. Enjoy the show. something remotely resembling it, but no guarantee. Okay, okay. Alright. Okay. Let's see. Welcome to, uh, to another episode of Matinee Manatees. Uh, I'm Sam. And I am Anthony. And we killed Ben. <laughs> He's dead. We just yep. we drowned him. That makes yeah. Mm-hmm. You can do it that was, to a manatee. Turns it out it was it was very difficult. But we did it. Uh, He is, uh... Ben is off in the bayous of Europe for a while. So, uh... So he's not available. But... But we're here. Does, uh... Does Europe have bayous? Uh, for the purposes of this podcast, yes. Okay. I'm well, gonna say yes. Uh, I, I am. I, I'm also not a geol geologician, so I don't know for sure. I mean, it probably has bayous. I'm sure. They might call it something else, but let's just call it Bayou's. I don't know which episode I did with Ben, but it had been established that there were North American matinee manatees as a species, so... I guess there's some sort of European matinee manatees. Or one would hope there would be European matinee manatees that Ben could uh, 
befriend while over there. Oh, I, I would hope so. I mean, he's... Otherwise, he's making a huge mistake going over there, but... <laughs> nah, I'm sure, I'm sure he's having a great time. Woo! So, we are recording... This is sort of a... I don't want to call it an experiment, but this is the first episode without him. So, who knows what's going to happen? There was a reason for this episode, though. Yeah, um, actually, I, I looked this up and we recorded Batman Forever episode one year ago. Like, and... Like, almost exactly? Yeah. Let me... Hold on. Let me get the actual date of release in here. Hold on. I gotta pull up our website because... I am so prepared for everything. What is that website again, Sam? That would be matinemanities.com. Hmm. You should, uh, you should go there. I, I am. I was talking oh, we kind of talking broadly. Right. Uh, yeah. Th- them too, yeah. Those Pro- people too. Probably not now, though, because you're probably trying to sleep. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so, where is it? Hold on. It's the, the, here it is. Okay, you want to know a fun fact? Yes. Uh, so we, we released the Batman Forever episode on June 13th, 2018. What? No way! Yeah, and uh, just for a little behind the scenes fun, it is June 12th, 2018. So it was almost exactly a year ago. Uh, so almost exactly a year ago, I was giving you unending guff for one of the first Batman movies you'd ever seen being Batman Forever. <laughs> to be fair, I think it was the first Batman movie I saw. Oh, no. And I was also like nine when it came out, and I'm 99% sure I saw it in the theaters. <laughs> so. Oh. Yeah. I'm reliving some of the pain that you put me through a year ago. <laughs> Okay. Sorry. So, out of that podcast, uh, you know, 
I grew progressively more and more belligerent and just intolerant of the fact that you hadn't seen any of the original Batmans. And Ben had to physically separate us over the podcast. Uh, And I got you to promise that we would do... Batman, the 1989 Tim Burton Batman movie. Yeah. And, um, then a series of unfortunate events occurred that did not allow me to actually watch the film. But, hey, on the plus side, this is actually, when we're recording this, is 11 days before the 30th anniversary of this movie's release. So, I think it's better that I waited a year to watch this movie. (laughs) Because now we can call it the 30th anniversary celebration. Yes, so... That's actually pretty rad. The so we have the lineup of one year from the previous Batman recording, and that it seems like it was supposed to happen. Yes, and I think we should wait another year for Batman Returns. Because that came out on June 16th, 19th... No, I'm sorry, that's the wrong date. June 19th, 1992. Oh, shit. Actually, no, we have to wait three years for that to get the 30th anniversary for that. You know, that's probably doable considering our luck with this... (laughs) this particular (laughs) Batman film. Yeah. I'm willing to wait less than a year to watch Batman Returns. I almost said Batman Forever. I'm sorry. (laughs) You... Ah... God, say you're notorious for loving that film, if I remember correctly. That was one of your favorite movies. Look, I'm not gonna say that Batman Forever is a better film than Batman, but I have nostalgia for Batman Forever that I don't have for Batman, so... Objectively, it's a worse film, but in a very horrible, subjective way, I liked Batman Forever War. Alright, alright. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna hold off any opinions on that until I see how you feel about this particular Batman movie. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Other guest, uh, other matinee manatee guest, Tony, uh, is 
pretty open with me about the fact that he does not like this particular Batman movie. Really? Mm-hmm. It's a point so, of contention. I can imagine that must that must be very straining on your relationship with him. Yeah, yeah. I like Ben. I have also killed him. <laughs> so pretty much we're the last two options for this thing. <laughs> That's okay. I think I think we'll be fine. Do we have to like talk about the cast? Is that correct? Uh, or oh do, yeah. Because uh, my impulse is to you know just dive in and start talking about the movie. So before we do that, I have a question for you, Anthony. Oh dang. Okay. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Yeah! Are you fucking kidding me? I want that. I've wanted that saying on a shirt for years. <laughs> Did you ever get it? No. No, I didn't. Can you use a silkscreen one? Yeah, I mean, there's, like, websites you can go to to order it to. It's, it's a super achievable thing. I'm not oh, yeah. pretending that it's difficult. <laughs> it really is just that uh, I think I've just idly wanted it and then moved on. That's fair. No, it's, it's a good quote. It's a great quote. The other, for me, I think, kind of famous, well-known quote, but I think it's only because my brother always said it to me when, when I was younger, is the, you are my number one. A guy. <laughs> but not the way that, um, not the way that the mob boss says it to Joker. The way that Joker says it to his second in command, because he says it a little more exaggeratedly. You are my number one guy. And he like shakes them all crazy. That's the one that uh, I'm used to. I don't know how you would get that across on a t-shirt, you'd have to have lots of, like, the same letter repeatedly back to back to back, but, Yeah, uh, that's, that's a bit more difficult. Yeah, I, I agree, which is why I've never made 
this shirt that I actually dream about, which is that one. One day, we'll get there. Yeah. Maybe when we do Batman Returns. Yeah. That's the stuff dreams are made of. It's... It is. <laughs> so, let's see. Uh, so, so Batman was was released on actually June 19th, 1989 in Westwood, California. I guess it was their LA premiere. And June 23rd, 1989 in the United States uh, was directed by Tim Burton, produced by John Peters and Peter Goober. Uh, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that name correctly. Probably not. With the with the screenplay by one of my favorite named people ever, Sam Ham. Yes, yes. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you you paused there for a second. Oh my god, that had me laughing. It's such a good name. There's so many good names in this movie. There's there's also some guy named Warren Scarin? Scarin. Well, because Sam and Warren did the screenplay. But right. the Sam Ham also wrote just kind of the overarching story. I did not yeah. look up his IMDb, so like I don't recall anything specific about Sam Ham. Well, I can open up his Wikipedia page as we're going to read the the cast list real okay. quick. So it stars uh, Jack Nicholson because he apparently demanded to be top billed. Yeah, over uh, Batman. Yeah, that but, was surprising. I mean, I mean, in a sense, if you watch this movie, you kind of get it, because this movie is almost more about the Joker than it is about Batman. <laughs> yeah, there's in a, a lot of things that are similar to the Dark Knight with Heath, Heath Ledger. Ledger's Batman in that way. Yeah. And let's see. It also stars Michael Keaton as, um, uh, what's the guy's name? Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. That's the guy. Sam. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to, I was trying to just, yeah, whatever. Also starring uh, Kim Bassinger as, uh, as, as Vicky Vale and uh, Robert Wool as um, 
reporter dude who gets really annoying and then doesn't appear for the second half of the movie. <laughs> um, Pat Hangel, another one of my favorite names. Which one? Who's Pat Hangel play? He was uh, d- uh, Gordon. Oh, yeah. And he's he was- one of the only other through lines through all four Batman movies, right? He plays exactly. Okay. Commissioner Gordon. And the other one who, the other through line is Michael, I think it's Goff or Go, who plays Alfred. Yeah, who's great. And spectacular. Um, Billy D. Goddamn motherfucking Williams. Who's basically just there at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, um, a lot of these characters are there for like the first hour and a hour or so and then just disappear for the rest of the movie and then speaking of other characters I'm sorry spoiler alert who are who are here for the beginning of the movie and then disappear Jack Palance is in sort of a cameo Jack Palance plays the major mob boss, right? Yes. Okay. Grissom. Yeah, classic act. Grissom, thank you. What else? Because he's a face I definitely recognized when he came on, but I don't, I can't, like, personally place him. The only other movie that I've seen him in is City Slickers. I only remember that because I saw that in theaters. I forgot about with Billy Crystal? Yes. <laughs> he plays the old cowboy. <laughs> Who dies. Oh! Sorry. Oh, did you just give City Slickers spoilers? Look, I mean, look, I, I'm usually, I usually try not to do that kind of thing, but... City Slickers is almost 30 years old at this That's point. That's a rough spoiler. I mean, people come here, they're not expecting to have to worry about getting an 80s action comedy spoiled for them. I know. I, you know, I should be nicer, but I've had a shitty day. So, um, I don't care. <laughs> By the way, I'm pulling up Sam Ham's selected filmography right now. It's just great hearing you say Sam Ham. <laughs> he does not 
have that many credits to his name. So he was he was a writer for Never Cry Wolf. Okay. Heard of. Nah, yeah. And then and then he wrote Batman. And then he wrote Batman Returns. Oh. And then he he wrote and executive produced Mantis. Wait. Mantis, the Fox television show? It says it's from 1994, maybe? Oh my god. Uh, I haven't thought about that show in forever. There's only one season of it. Yeah, so he wrote that. It was... Oh, okay. Just... (laughs) Just briefly, Sam. Yeah. Do me this favor. Will you read the synopsis to Mantis? Sure. Let me open that up. I have not thought about that show since it was on television. (laughs) Okay. Mantis is an American science fiction television series that aired for one season (laughs) on the Fox Network between August 26, 1994 and March 3, 1995. The original two-hour TV movie pilot was produced by Sam... Sam Raimi? Oh, shit! Oh, what? No wonder I liked it. Ah, and it was developed by Sam Ham. What? And they're like. Do they have six, like a seven, breakdown? Eight, like nine, my. Ten paragraphs of story. <laughs> That's way too much. Like, it was something yeah. like. I, I think they. I think he's a. He was a paraplegic, and the suit gave him the ability, like, it was one of those kind of classic stories where the suit gave him superhuman strength, and then, I I don't know if it was RoboCop style, where he went after the people who caused it. But he had a guy in the chair. It was the whole thing, but it was a it was a costume superhero show in the early nineties that was like a little bit darker. Now that I know Sam Ham did it, I can kind of see some of the Batman vibes. I can remember it a little more clearly. Alright. Yeah. And there, there is a DVD box set of this. Of Mantis. Came, it came out in 2009. So. There's no way it can hold there. up. <laughs> There's just absolutely <laughs> not. no way. Okay. So Sam uh, Ham. Uh, yeah, has an incredible resume. 
Yeah, he he also wrote and executive produced Monkey Bone. So <laughs> and and then his last credit listed on here, he wrote for Masters of Horror. I don't recall that. Uh, it's an anthology television series back in 2005. Oh, okay. For Showtime Network. Well. That's all I know. Sam Ham basically wrote an 80s romantic comedy drama that just happened to involve Batman and the Joker. (laughs) Is what I realized on this viewing. (laughs) And uh, we also have to mention that the soundtrack was written by Danny Elfman and uh, there were several songs contributed by Prince. Yes, there were. (laughs) They are so great. My God, it's amazing. Oh, they're even better than I remember. Okay, (laughs) we'll get to that when we get to that. Yes. So here are all of the different numbers I found for this thing. So Rotten Tomatoes has a a 71% critics consensus so it's 71% fresh and the and the uh, the audience score of 84% mm-hmm, mm-hmm. IMDB has a 7.6 out of 10 rating hmm, okay Metacritic has an average score of Batman of 69 out of 100. And would you like to take a guess as to the rating on Amazon? Um, okay. Okay, give me a second. I think... Okay. Aren't they usually like 4 out of 5? So, the lowest score we've ever seen that I've ever seen for any movie on this podcast, which includes such classics as Wild Wild West Uh and Twilight, Uh is four stars out of five. Yeah! That is the lowest rating Amazon has ever seen. So what do you think I got think I think when we did Godzilla it was three. Really? I uh no check my math. Check my math at some point. But I thought it was three. 
but who knows? I think I was drunk when I was doing that one. <laughs> so, so everyone's just ba- except for fans who are giving it a little bit of a boost. It seems like. Uh, all the critics just kind of give it a passing grade. Yeah. I don't know and if I believe that is fair. I think the thing is that I was, I was reading, I was doing research, and by research I mean I was reading Wikipedia uh, at the uh, time. Oh. Wow, Godzilla actually has less than four stars. It's 3.7 out of five. Is it? Okay, yes. So, and... Correct, by the way. It's... uh, (laughs) It should be lower. Yeah. Okay. So, uh... By the way, Batman has a 4.5 stars out of 5 on Amazon. Nice. Yeah. We were just about to talk about something, and then I looked up star ratings, and I forgot what it was. Uh, you were beginning to describe the in-depth super detailed research you did on Wikipedia while watching this movie. Right, but I don't remember exactly what I was going to talk about. Um, so I say just start from the first paragraph and just read verbatim from there. Okay. Batman is a <laughs> nineteen. Uh, damn, I'm really, I'm really embarrassed that I've already forgotten what I was going to talk about eight seconds ago. Well, since we're doing all the breakdown of writers, producers actors, so on and so forth. Let me just say that as a companion to help us get through this podcast, I also have the official comic adaptation of the Warner's Brothers motion picture, Batman. This was written, or should I say adapted, by Dennis O'Neill and Jerry Ordway with Steve Olaf. Because it was with Steve Olaf, I'm assuming he's a pretty big writer back in the day. I'll take your word for it. I've never heard of any of them. This thing is basically the cliff notes of the movie. The artists... (laughs) The artists actually did a pretty, like, good job getting everyone's likeness down. 
but it's interesting to see the adaptation of this in terms of writing because basically it looks like they just took the existing script and then made it either they just transferred it verbatim or just made it a little dumber <laughs> and I, wow. and I love it <laughs> so, so wasn't this wasn't this movie sort of based on the killing joke my is that correct or no? That is a really good question. Uh, I've read so many Joker stories, it is hard for me to pare down exactly which one the killing joke is, other than that I know it's a classic. But, I mean, you do have... Pretty much every Joker trope in here. You have him taking over the airwaves. You have him doing some sort of toxic thing that is poisoning all of Gotham in some way or another. Visually, you have, I think, like every iteration of his costume from like different types of thing like different types of classic stories in particular his black and white costume which is from this not from this but uh that alex ross did a really gorgeous painting of. What else are like classic? Oh, of course we have the we have the bang gun, which I think is is like back to sixties Joker, right? So um, to all to all the listeners, I don't know what he's talking. I don't know uh, to answer your question Sam Uh, I don't know if this was based or loosely based on the killing joke so that's okay because Wikipedia is my friend once again. Oh, classic Wikipedia. Yeah. So it says the the tone and themes of the film were influenced in part by Alan Moore and Brian Boland's The Killing Joke and Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my my entire point behind that was that the the so the comic adaptation of this movie 
is a comic book adaptation of a movie adaptation of a comic book. Oh my god. It's recursive adaptations is what we're getting here. I don't know if I can own this comic anymore. I think I have to get <laughs> rid of it. <laughs> no, it's it's too rad. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it if I was you. <laughs> oh my Oh! I remember finally what I was going to talk about. Uh, the critic uh, thing. The critical reception. Okay. Because critics apparently when this came out, critics hated this movie. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, not hated, but it's... Okay, so here's, here's what we have in their critical response. It says... Batman was criticized by some for being too dark, but nonetheless received positive reviews. So Rotten Tomatoes, we mentioned already, it says it has a 70%, but I think it's actually slightly higher than that. With an average rating of 6.56 out of 10. The site's consensus reads an eerie haunting and a eerie haunting spectacle. Batman succeeds as dark entertainment, even if Jack Nicholson's Joker too often overshadows the title character. Well, of course he did. First of all, it's Jack Nicholson. And it's the Joker. Man, this is almost... I feel like this was just echoed again when The Dark Knight came out as being, like, some people saying, like, too serious, too dark for a comic book movie. Heath Ledger outshines... Christian Bale. Yeah, it's weird, and especially because Christian Bale tries really hard to outdo Heath Ledger. Oh, yeah. Much like Tommy Lee Jones tries to outdo Jim Carrey in Batman Forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a trend in the Batman movies. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know if I've seen Batman and Robin, I'm, but I'm assuming whichever other villain he tries to fight tries to outdo Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. And that's not physically possible. Yeah. I would think. In 12 years when we get to that one, we'll discuss it. <laughs> you mean, you mean 12 days. 
Okay, part of me wants to watch all of the Batman films in chronological order, just so I can kind of do that. But part of me just wants to watch them in such a random order. Just cause like, alright, I watched Batman forever, now I watch Batman, now let's watch The Dark Knight Rises. Mm. And then it's like, okay, then we'll watch Batman Batman Returns. Now we're going to watch Batman v Superman, even though I've heard that's also terrible. I say commit to it. Would so commit to one or the other? No, no, just commit to your random viewing order. Okay. It's already off, so just, you know, create your own path. Okay. I like that. I like the, uh, I like that mentality. Unlike Christian Bale, Michael Keaton plays a pretty, like, reserved and stoic Batman. Yeah. I think a lot of people didn't appreciate his performance. Like back back then, but I think nowadays people have really kind of come around to him as actually having been one of the better Batmans out there. He's a pretty good Batman. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's not as, he's a good Batman and a good Bruce Wayne, I think. There's something I noticed on this viewing as well of, of why I think I liked this movie more than I even previously liked it. Which is a nice surprise, because I feel like more often than not watching movies that I used to love, I just don't like them as much these days. Mm-hmm. This is one that I started liking more. So when we get into this movie a little bit later, there's a scene in which I started noticing why I like this portrayal of Bruce Wayne so much, uh, and we'll get to it. It's uh, it's later on during the date scene. Okay, cool. So let's see. Do do we want to give more background, or should we dive in? I mean, I'm always ready to dive in. I didn't know if there's any more matinee manatee checklist things you had to take care of. It just kind of depends, because there's... Wikipedia has an absolute crap ton of information on the production of this movie. Oh, like the fact that the other names who were considered to play Batman 
include Mel Gibson, <laughs> Kevin Costner, <laughs> Charlie Sheen, oh my gosh, Tom Selleck, Harrison Ford, Dennis Quaid, no, and Bill Murray. So, he would play like an updated Adam West version? Like, what's, what's a Bill Murray Batman even look like? I I can't even picture that. Like there's some some person like some some actor slash role combinations that I just they don't compute in my head. Yeah, I can't and that's, uh that's one of them. It's like when I heard years back that uh, Nicholas Cage was going to play Superman. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I feel very similar. Yeah. No. My my head hurts. What version? The other people who were considered to play the Joker... I just want to rattle these names off real quick. Yeah. Uh, Brad Dorif, whose name I didn't recognize until I looked him up, and he played Grimma Wormtongue in the Lord of the Rings series. Oh. Yeah. Oh, uh, he's got good features for it. Yeah, he was apparently the top choice to play the Joker. But I guess the studio really wanted Jack Nicholson, so they got him. Other people who were considered to play the Joker include Tim Curry, who would have fucking made it amazing. Yep. David Bowie. Okay. John Lithgow. Yeah. Which. That would have been amazing. That would have been great. And James Woods. See, all those guys, especially in that era, have the physical frame that I think of when I think iconic Joker. Just that real live... And then the sharp facial features. Whereas the thing with Jack Nicholson that's always kind of funny is that he's like, he's not out of shape. He's just like, he's a little bit huskier. And his, and his, and his features except for when they do the prosthetics for his smile are just a lot softer. Mm-hmm. But well, he's I amazing mean, as he 
but he plays a great character, so it doesn't even matter. Yeah, well, was it? I mean, he's also a lot older than all these other guys. I mean, he was... I think he was, like, in his 50s when he did this role. Because I think all the other actors that were in this list were maybe in their late 30s, early 40s, maybe? And Jack Nicholson was, like, a decade older than most of them. It makes sense having him that age considering the reveal that they do later in the movie. Yeah, exactly. And then, oh, one other casting mention that we can go ahead and bring up because it's kind of sad about what happened afterwards. The the person who was originally cast to play Vicky Vale was Sean Young, but she got injured in a horse riding accident right before the the filming was supposed to start. So they had to scramble to find a new person and they found Kim Basinger to play her. And um Sean Young went kind of crazy after that. Whoa. I think there are stories, like, where she wanted to be in a Batman movie so much that when they decided to do uh, Batman Returns, she would, like... Show up to Tim Burton's slight casting calls dressed as Catwoman. Oh, I th- I think that's the thing. Okay. Yeah. So she kind of she kind of a little crazy. I mean, that's not necessarily crazy. Maybe she she's an act. She's just really, like, showing, taking that next step and really just showing interest in the role, potentially. Yeah. But I I think it got to a point where she was, like, stalking people about it. Well, stalking is crazy, so, okay. Yeah. I will say that the one other thing that I mentioned here is about casting Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent is I'm kind of sad we never got to see Billy D. Williams as Two-Face because I think that would have been a very interesting choice well, especially having that be the first movie you saw of of the set. So you had this... And it's in the same universe, <laughs> technically, because, yeah. because of Commissioner and Alfred. So we know this is the same universe. And so, yeah, so I was actually kind of wondering 
how that how that viewing would go for you then coming back and seeing Billy D. Yeah, when when that popped up I thought, Oh shit, Billy D. Williams. Oh shit, he's Harvey Dent. Mm-hmm. Oh, why didn't we get Billy D. Williams two face? Now, imagine him doing Tommy Lee Jones' exact performance. (laughs) I, I can't. I have to think he would be a bit smoother than that. I mean, I know it was a Joel Schumacher directed film, but... I have to imagine Billy D. Williams would be a little bit more subdued. Oh yeah, it'd be. I mean, still, he'd still be crazy, but he'd be not cool crazy though. Yeah, like not necessarily trying to compete with to out crazy Jim Carrey, which is impossible to do. But already within one movie, uh, Billy D's character has like a scene up front, and then by the end is just sound in the background. <laughs> so yeah. already yeah, he, has, he was already on his way out. That's that's unfortunate because I think it was, I think it was a really cool casting choice because it's, you know, with all the accusations of whitewashing in films nowadays, it's like, it's really cool to see an actor like Billy D. Williams playing a character who was, I think, usually in the comics primarily white. Correct me if I'm wrong. Harvey Dent? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I think that was cool, and I really wish that he would have been able to, to do the role again. But... Was not to be. The one thing I will say was kind of funny, since you brought it up, is that he did get cast, yes, and it was outside of the typical portrayal of the character, but other than that, the only other people of color that I noticed were henchmen of the Joker. Yeah. As far I'm, as I'm, as far as like shown characters and not just background background actors. I, I'm not necessarily saying that Billy D. Williams Casting is Harvey Dent cured racism because obviously <laughs> it didn't. It should have, but yeah, 
but I'm just saying it was a nice, it was nice to see that actually working in favor of, of, well, they're not minorities anymore, they're, you know, white people are not the majority anymore, but back then they sort of were, but... I don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm just happy. I was just happy to see someone who wasn't white playing a normally white character. Yeah, because Billy Dee's Brad and would make up yeah. perfectly awesome. So what was kind of cool about this, and I'm gonna keep making references to Dark Knight just because. They're pulling from the same source material, especially, you know, because there's some, like, classic Batman stories of Commissioner Harvey Dent and Batman teaming up to take down the criminal underworld, basically. Mm -hmm. This movie kind of, like did a light uh, light nod to it a little bit just by having the character in there but they didn't really do anything past that yeah they I think they were trying to establish the the fact that I mean this this was this was like the sort of beginning of the Batman story well not the beginning beginning but the point where they still don't know who he is they just know there's some vigilante out there beating up criminals. Yeah, it's but, the first, like, yeah. however many months of Batman being around, basically. Yeah, exactly. Well, should we, uh, should we quote-unquote dive in? Yeah. Okay. Right, I'm ready for it. Up, let me pull up my notes, which... Let me see. Oh, I gotta, I gotta open these up, because... Eh. While you're opening it up, there was one thing that I thought was funny. The costume designer for the movie was different than the costume designer specifically for Kim Basinger. So, uh, next time you watch the movie, if you do again, just, just note that Kim Basinger had her own costume designer. I mean, to be fair, there were, like, there was, like, one other female character in the entire movie. Hmm? That's true. Which... 
I mean, I mean, Billy D. Williams almost cured racism, but this movie definitely <laughs> did not cure sexism. Uh, yeah. What I liked about how the movie opened was that it played so it wasn't just the night of of Bruce Wayne's parents dying you know they have the setup of the family coming out of the theater and uh, in this case it, it kind of tips his hand pretty quickly because they're trying to get a cab and it's not working out and the dad is just like super has like tons of masculinity issues because he just can't accept directions from from his wife and it's just like no we'll get a cab everything's working out fine obviously the first sort of like indicator to me because I had actually kind of forgotten that, that they weren't the Waynes was because, you know, the, the Waynes don't need a cab. But I liked that it was a setup. I liked that it was kind of playing off the idea of, uh, of the, of the Batman origin story, but then it turned out to be, like, a separate mob, uh, a separate theft issue. Yeah. So, so this family can't get a cab, and they decide to go down an alleyway because that's smart to do in Gotham City. Yeah. Uh, and they get robbed. Yeah, they have kind of like a it's a it's a duo of guys. The first the the first grubby beanie wearing thug just asks them for change, and then I think it's kind of a distraction. And then the other one comes up and. Thing has a weapon. Yeah. And then we get uh, our first. Well, no, they they rob them and then they go off to like a rooftop to just sort of hang out. Yeah. yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, cause so the the two. Thieves end up on that rooftop, and they're they're basically just like talking about the robbery they just did. Like, <laughs> I remembered this because it was there was some unexpected 
character conflict between these two just like <laughs> random not random, but these two pretty small-time characters. Because they're talking about... Like, one of them doesn't like the way that... The, how violent the guy got with robbing the family. And they're having a disagreement. And... So you get to see kind of like their differences and how they live their life before they start talking about being scared of uh or the the kind of the nicer of the two thieves is talking about being kind of nervous is hearing stories about this bat monster and maybe they should get off the roof yeah, and, uh, the, the old-timer is just like, yeah, it's just, it's just nonsense or whatever, and, and he is almost immediately proven wrong, <laughs> because <laughs> there is a bat monster that appears, <laughs> He beats the shit out of the old guy, or something. I I don't know. I mean, yeah, I he, can't. I can't tell. A lot of these scenes are at night. And oh I can't yeah, see this kind of stuff, you guys. It's cool. So, uh, okay. here I got you. Good. Thank S you. So, first of all, Batman just takes out the nice thief with just yeah. like like a kick to the sternum and just kicks him through a wall <laughs> and then he grabs the guy the more callous one who's got like who's got like a dagger earring on his left ear <laughs> And, um, he's got, like, a kind of, almost like a New Yorky accent. He's like, there ain't no bat. <laughs> it's a great, but it's rad, so, like, it's actually a really well-done introduction to Batman, because... While the two guys are having that conversation we had just described, in the background, you see Batman just, like, come down and descend through the fog with his, with his cape up. It's like the classic Batman silhouette. And they don't notice him, so they're like, Tim Burton's going out of his way to show you Batman's stealth. His dramatic stealth, but stealth nonetheless. Mm -hmm. um, and then, very quickly, they establish he's got, because the costume's all rubber, 
His fighting style isn't as fluid as you get with, like, later Batman movies. <laughs> but as a result, like, they make his fighting style very just, like, efficient with high impact. Mm-hmm. And so you get to see his hand-to-hand combat real quick because he just, like, kicks this dude and knocks him down. And then you get to see his gadgets because as the, as the like, dagger-earing dude's running away, Batman flips out his little battering and, like, stops the guy. So it's, like, and it gives you pretty clear image of Batman's capabilities just boom, 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 out the gate. Yeah, I mean, I... I appreciate the fact that they gave him the the fighting style that they gave him because I mean it it really makes sense in in real I mean I don't know if anyone would actually dress up in real life and rubber like that but one would hope yeah but I mean if if you're going to do that you probably want to be able to take out an enemy relatively efficiently, and that's... that it makes perfect sense to do that. He also makes... and this is partly because the film's darker and because of the... how they film it, but... Michael Keaton makes it work not being able to turn his neck, turn his head. Yeah. Like, he works really, he does really good torso work to make it not not seem as awkward as you would expect. Yet another thing that people probably don't notice in this movie is Michael Keaton's torso work, which is also the name of my of my next punk band. <laughs> Michael Keaton's torso. Hi, will Michael Keaton's torso work? <laughs> So he knocks the old, he knocks the callous veteran robber out, and he picks up the other, the newbie guy by his, by the scruff, and the newbie's like freaking out, right? Because he's like, What's happening? I don't want to die. He basically, Batman basically tells him, Tell all your 
tell your boss that, you know, we, there's someone who's gonna knock them all out of... I, I can't talk right now, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's basically just, like, he's using this opportunity and you, 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 you find out kind of just through context and listening to other characters talk as the movie goes forward that this is an example of Batman just spreading his own myth and like adding yeah. to the lore by just going through the lower rungs of the criminal underworld so that they all start making rumblings about him. Mm-hmm. And this is yeah. where you get the famous line where he's he's holding the vi- the bad guy, holding the thief over the edge of the building. Uh, and the guy goes, Who are you, man? <laughs> he says, I am Batman. And then throws the guy down and then <laughs> disappears out of Although in the comic adaptation, he says, I am the knight? Which, what the fuck? How are you gonna, how are you gonna adapt out the most important line? (sighs) That's, man... I know. So why are you keeping this comic again? I don't know. Dennis O'Neill and Jerry Ordway, they need to get their fucking shit together. I'm I'm actually kind of sad right now. I'm sorry. I'll never bring this up again, ever. Well, I mean, if if you're gonna use it to like reference the rest of the movie, please do, cause <laughs> I'm pretty sure most of my notes don't actually mark down anything about like what happens in the movie. <laughs> oh, it's just no. random shit that I noticed. <laughs> No, so don't so, reveal so, that. Then Ben oh. will never let us do this podcast <laughs> alone again. <laughs> I mean, okay. To be fair, most of the movies that we have that we've watched in the past that are. They're sort of action-y movies, and they take place primarily at night. I I usually rely on him to to do that sort of to do the description stuff, and then I occasionally make a stupid joke uh, <laughs> that probably offends a lot of people because. Uh, 
I, I'm not good at, at social things. Okay, okay, okay. So, sorry in advance, or possibly already sorry for, in, for uh, insulting everyone. That's just a natural trait of the North American matinee manatee. We can't expect you to go against your nature. Okay. Especially as an endangered species. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're in, we're endangered because we keep insulting people and they beat us to death. Mm-hmm. And we have rights. It's not cool. Yeah. Exactly. If if that if that court case where that where the monkey took a picture and then the guy sold the picture and then Peter got all mad and said the monkey has rights is any indication we also have rights. Did you just describe a story that happened in reality? Yes. Well, that is a thing that actually happened. I'm looking that up later. <laughs> yeah, that is an actual court case that happened. I don't know if it's a court case, but yeah, no. Um, some guy gave a monkey uh, or a chimpanzee or something. He gave him a camera. The, the monkey took a photo with the camera. The guy sold the, the photo that the monkey took for money. And I guess it was PETA got really mad at him because they said, The monkey has rights and the monkey should get the money. Did the monkey get the money? I don't know. I don't actually know the ending to this story. So, that's your homework, Anthony, is you find out what happens in this story. Oh my god. If the monkey got the money, I'm gonna be ecstatic. <laughs> Because, I mean, obviously the monkey needs the money. What would it spend it on? I mean... In the situation where the monkey understands that it received money, which is not reality, but (laughs) what would the monkey spend it on? Gold-plated bananas? Yep. That's it. Solved it. Okay. So the next scene (laughs) is the introduction of Harvey Dent, if I remember correctly, right? It's on the steps of the courthouse. No. It's... It's... In, like, City Hall, because it's, it's a big meeting. It's, like, a big 
is it are yeah. are they is it is that where they introduced the idea of the two hundredth anniversary of Gotham City? Yes, they're they're talking about the the fact that crime was on the rise, and the the mayor is there, I think, and he's trying to he's saying. This will not interfere with the 200th, um, the 200th, the bicentennial for Gotham. Right, right, right. The mayor just, he's like a newer mayor, and he basically just straight up says this crime problem will be handled before then and just essentially puts Commissioner Gordon and Harvey Dent just like just says yeah they'll take care of it I promise (laughs) not really a uh character dynamic that they go into like this is an 80s movie so it's it's relatively short as as we sit here today with Endgame having been like what three hours (laughs) so comic book movies were were pretty short, just movies in general were shorter then, and it's kind of like slightly joked about earlier, this is basically just an 80's romance movie that just happens to have Batman on it. <laughs> yeah. So, if this was made today, I feel like that that mayor-Gordon commissioner dynamic probably would have been explored a little bit more, but this is pretty much the extent of it that we get. Yeah, the, um, the two, the two robbers at the start of the movie get more character development between them than the mayor and Commissioner Gordon and Harvey Dent get between the three of them. Yeah, we really get to know those thieves. Like, we we get their input. I can like I can imagine how they ended up on the streets. The mayor, I'm like, who the fuck's this guy? He's yeah. not even in the other movies. He's just some guy. His his name apparently is Mayor Borg. Ha! So. Yeah, and then there's there's another there's another guy who I can't remember if he's introduced in this scene or shortly thereafter, but he's uh, Lieutenant Eckhart. Eckhart. 
Yes. Who as a kid I thought was supposed to be Harvey Bullock, and I'm really glad that it wasn't. <laughs> because I always thought that it was weird that they made Harvey Bullock a bad guy. They did not misunderstand. Yeah. I, I just have to mention these names because Lieutenant Eckhart is played by another one of my favorite named person people, William Hootkins. Hootkins. Yes, he plays Eckhart. Hootkins. Yes. I I don't know. He must have been in other movies, but oh, his nickname is Hoot. What a surprise! What was he in? Sorry, I missed it. Uh, I didn't look anything else. Up. Oh, he's, okay. He's, al he's also dead, apparently. Oh, he. he Shit, he was only like 56 years old when he died. Oh god. Rest in peace, Hootkins. Yeah. He was only 40 when he played Eckhart. He looked like he was 60. Wait, was Eckhart in this, in this scene? I, I don't... I can't remember if he was in this scene okay. or in the scene right after this. Well, yeah, because after this, you get your introduction to um, uh, what's the what's the Joker's full name? Is it Jack Napier? Yes, yes, it is. Yes, you get the introduction to Jack Napier, and. It's like an introduction to him and the fact that he is sleeping with his boss, the mob boss, Grissom's wife. Because they're both together. And I forget, like, I think the discussion is basically just to kind of give you the idea that Jack Napier is second command to this criminal this criminal lord and feels like he should be in that role in that position which is partly why he's sleeping with this woman Mm -hmm. and that he kind of does all the dirty work and is super kind of self-assured because he's positive that Grissom has no idea that, you know, he's, he's doing any of the stuff that he's doing. Mm-hmm. What I took away from this scene, however, more than anything, was that 
<laughs> at one point, Jack or 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 the Joker is standing in front of the mirror, looking at himself and kind of fixing his tie, and uh, and the woman comes up behind him and says, "You look fine," like trying to trying to assure him and he gives this kind of incredulous look and says I didn't ask (laughs) and it's such a specific it's such a specific way of playing the joke yeah But I could also hear that what's in, what's because he's such a defining joker, I, I still kind of hear Mark Hamill's voice when I think of the Joker. Mm-hmm. And so, like, my unconscious, uh, my unconscious bar for is this a pretty good version of the Joker is can I imagine Mark Hamill doing that scene? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I can. Okay. <laughs> this is still the Joker. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mark Hamill did. I think he's voiced the Joker in practically every animated version of Batman, right? Yeah, pretty much. Him and him and the other guy. The guy who did Bruce Wayne for forever. Oh, um crap, what's his name? I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. We probably mentioned him during Batman Forever anyways. Yeah. But yes, so they had that little introduction scene with Jack Napier before they move on to the scene where Eckhart's introduced because it's our two favorite thieves are getting whisked away in an ambulance. Well, go, you, you take it from here. Right, so I think this, this was also the introduction of both Eckhart and Robert Wool, who's name, whose character's name I cannot remember. Isn't it Knox? Um, Oh, right. Yeah, that one. Sorry. K-N-O-X? Yeah. Yeah. So, Knox is constantly just peppering Eckhart with all these questions about 
vigilantism, and I actually wrote this down because I, I guess it was funny, because he says, Lieutenant, is there a six-foot bat on the police force? It's <laughs> like, uh, are you serious? I mean, like, I, I get it, it's Gotham City and things are weird, but it seems like an odd question, an odd choice of words to ask from a reporter to to a police lieutenant. Well, they obviously have a dynamic because Eckhart doesn't like Knox, so I feel like a lot of what Knox is doing is like he knows he's not gonna get like straight answers out of out of Eckhart, so he's just kind of being a little bit sarcastic, being a little bit over the top. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it was necessarily um, quite like a literal question. It was more just sort of like a tongue-in-cheek style question, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and of course Eckhart is doing his his best movie movie trailer guy voice impression because <laughs> he just has this growl that's just like it's it's not quite Michael Wayncott levels of ridiculously deep voice but it gets close <laughs> um, I think that was the guy's name shit the guy who plays Guy Gisburn in, in um, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves and also the main bad guy in The Crow which this episode may or may not come out before the crow, which case, whoops! Oh, that's the same guy? Yeah. I just recently rewatched the crow. Yeah. The, the main bad guy yeah, is the yeah, same yeah. guy. Yeah. Huh. Michael, it's Michael Wincott, I think was his name. So Hootkins, Hootkins. Uh, has, has his wonderful gravelly voice. I'm sorry, I have to bring this up because I was looking up his filmography, Hootkins. Hootkins? Uh, yeah. He was in Star Wars? Who was he in Star Wars? Apparently a character named... Jack Tano Porkins? Porkins, oh wait, Porkins as in X-Wing fighter Porkins? Oh shit, I think that might actually, yeah. What? 
That was New Hope, right? Yeah. Doesn't he... Isn't he one of the first X-Wings that explodes? I think he was. <laughs> um, and he was also in Flash Gordon? Oh, I wouldn't. Okay, cool. Whoa, <laughs> who? Uh, he played a character named Munson. I, I don't remember that character, but... Okay. I'm sorry, I just had to bring those up, because I was like, holy shit, he was Star Wars. For a moment, it's, it was hard to remember that this movie was 89, because I'm thinking about how old is he? But <laughs> yes, back then, that was yeah, within his lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so Knox is, is bothering after Goes down the alley. Yeah. And meets up with Jack Napier. Right. Yes. Oh yeah, that's when we find out that he's... He's corrupt. He's in Jack Napier's pocket. But they kind of have some strife, too, because uh, Napier's trying to tell Eckhart to take care of something, and Eckhart is firing back like, I don't answer to you, I answer to your boss. Hmm. Well, it's more like, I don't answer to you. I answer to your boss. Yeah. Or something it, like that, right? No, that was exactly what it was like without any yeah. differences. Yep. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I am a great voice actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, cause so that scene... God, this movie is so... fucking... It's like, just really... efficiently done all the way through, like, all these introductions that they're doing. Just mm -hmm. like... The play, so, like, from this point, you know, the playoff of Batman's origin story, giving you everything you need to know, kind of, about Batman out the gate. You get the political players, and you get this whole crew, and now we dive straight into the introduction to Vicky Vale, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's actually all I wrote down for We get Vicky Vale's introduction. I did not do well with the no. Well, I mean, so it's, it's discovered that 
as you're going to the newsroom that oh, Knox yeah. kind of has like uh, an Agent Mulder thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's kind of giving him, giving him flack for his him trying to cover the Batman story. And Knox's response is kind of like he, very genuine, saying something along the lines of, um, what is it? Like, this is Pulitzer Prize winning material, guys. Like, he feels like he's on the right, right track to something. And then you get the introduction of Vicky Vale, where there's just like, I believe, like a big newspaper open, and she's just got her legs up on the desk. <laughs> and uh, I believe Knox just says, Hello, legs. <laughs> so we're definitely in an 80s flick. <laughs> yeah. And through her introduction, you find out that she wanted to come here and work with him on the Bat story. I think her reasoning is I like bats. <laughs> Which wasn't that also something about what Dr. Chase Meridian said? I think Didn't there was a like there the may have been a, a line that either echoed that or was just straight that. I'm pretty sure she said exactly that line. <laughs> Oh. I mean, my memory of a year ago is not the greatest, but I'm fairly certain she said exactly that line when she came into Gotham. Well, her character has a similar kind of, like, she's, her character's got a similar look to Bruce Wayne. She's in a profession where like this is an investigative reporter Nicole Kidman's character Chase Meridian the bank is (laughs) uh, (laughs) a psychologist and so in both like both those characters are kind of like discovering who Bruce Wayne is and at the end of both those movies that love interest ends up pretty much becoming a part of his life and becoming permanent girlfriend yeah which is not something you get out of Batman Returns or Batman and Robin Spoilers. Oh yeah, my bad. Um, 
<laughs> Not to be overlooked, though, even though she, uh, Vicky Vale, who's got the coolest name, is oh, God, yes. introduced by her legs. They do this little thing where you find out that she's a photographer for Vogue. But then she's quick to sort of point out that she also has been doing a bunch of stuff in some war zone. I think uh, I'm probably going to pronounce this incorrectly in the Court of Maltese. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you get you get the idea that they show that she's a... She's a modern, fashionable woman, but she's also like an investigative photographer and that's their way to kind of justify the style and interest in what she's going into. Yeah. And so, uh, they have, uh, kind of a playful dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. Not yeah, just kind so. of just constantly flirting with her and asking him to marry her and talking about her physical features and she's just sort of overlooking it and talking about the, uh, the article. Yeah. <laughs> because you know, she's a, she's a strong, independent woman and she don't take no shit from some weirdo journalist. I mean, she did seek him out to do this project, I guess. Yeah, but yeah. she doesn't have the interest in anything else besides using him for his journalistic connections. But she doesn't necessarily need them because the way in which they're, like, she's trying to get information about the, what is it? They need to talk to Commissioner Gordon, right? Is that the situation? And so that's how that's and they know Gordon's gonna be at Bruce Wayne's yeah at his big gala thing yeah and so it's like she doesn't necessarily need Knox because she reveals she already has two tickets to Bruce Wayne's <laughs> gala which she probably got through, what, her Vogue connection, I'm guessing? I, I would think so. Yeah. So, I guess, she, I don't know, maybe she needed some arm candy? Yes. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm getting out of it. Or at least his, his foundational research to put her on the right track, perhaps. Maybe, yeah. By the way, Bruce Wayne's 
Bruce Wayne's gala? Mm-hmm. Isn't for... I, so there's... When they, when they cut to the next scene introducing this gala... Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a sign, it's either a sign or it's a shirt that somebody's wearing. And it's, it's not for like an endangered species or a children's home or something. It's a, it's for saving the festival. The sign says, save the festival. <laughs> so it's just a bunch of rich people donating money to do a big festival parade for the 200th anniversary of Gotham City. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to remember this is the 80s and this was the time when rich people could just raise money for themselves and <laughs> you know it, it's easier to get away with I guess yeah I don't know <laughs> oh we, I think we we might have missed the part where um, where Jack Napier's gonna break into the chemical plant, right? I oh think that was yeah, because right we haven't. So yeah, that's because we had yet to see. This is the first time Jack and Grissom talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I, from what I recall, Grissom basically wants Jack to break into the Axis chemical plant and destroy all the records. I, why I can't remember. Can you refresh my memory on that one? Did he say why? Um, or just, just cause. So, I'm so I'm trying to recall. So I believe Eckhart passed along information that the cops were looking for information to connect Grissom to a bunch of crimes so that Harvey Dent would have all the dirt he needed to take him down right. in court. Yes. And so like the the meeting that's happening in Grissom's like sweet penthouse Mm-hmm. are about, like, trying to figure out what to do, and they're all kind of discussing it, debating it, and, and Jack Napier just speaks up and is just like, 
I think this is the plan that we should do. And Grissom's like, yeah, boy, that is the plan that we should do. But little does Jack Napier know is that this is all Grissom's way of setting Jack up to take the fall. Yep, because after Grissom says, Alright, Jack, you handle it. And, you know, Jack gives him the look. Then we see a little bit later that Grissom's calling Eckhart and saying that Jack is going to be at the chemical plant. So, this is also the scene where Grissom does his You Are My Number One Guy. (laughs) And then gives him his deck of cards. Oh yeah. Because... I guess they had to justify the whole Joker name somehow. Yeah, Joker, like, this is the second scene we've seen the Joker in, and both scenes, he's looked at a card with the Joker on it. Hmm. So, there's your justification for the name. We've also gotten some, over the the few times we've seen him, some, like, just light dialogue references to Jack being crazy or people thinking he's crazy. That's true, yeah. We haven't been given any real indications based on his behavior we've just been told this so far yeah and and so then we get gala scene which i initially thought was just taking place in a casino (laughs) um because of all the roulette and the craps tables and all the cards being played uh, but then I remember, oh, right, it's actually Bruce's mansion, and they're raising money. <laughs> to save the festival. For the festival. <laughs> save the festival. <laughs> How about just fund it? Just fund the festival. Yeah, it's exactly. the 200th I mean, anniversary. I mean... There are enough rich people in there that they don't even have to raise money for the festival. They could just give money to get the festival to run. But I mean, if Bruce Wayne is throwing a baller casino party, I guess you you show up if you get an invite. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, if if Bruce Wayne invited me to a gala, I'd go. He wouldn't, because, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what his policy is on inviting manatees into his gala events, but... I mean, there's also the fact that he's a fictional character, but I'm ignoring that part. No. Um, he, he, I don't know. He'd probably invite a North American matinee manatee. True. Especially because we've talked about now two of his movies. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait, Batman or, oh, (laughs) in my head I was thinking Michael Keaton. I I was like, what other Michael Keaton movie did you do? (laughs) I mean... I mean, Ben might have done one with Tony. I'm not 100% sure. Multiplicity? Did you guys do multiplicity? I would like to do multiplicity. Put it on the docket. Alright, we're doing that. Oh my god, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Take it off the docket. Get a different docket. <laughs> Burn the other docket. <laughs> so this is a, this is a, it's an important scene. It's a classic scene. Like this movie's hitting like a bunch of common things through Batman history. Bruce Wayne's gotta have a gala of some kind. Mm -hmm. At the gala, he meets the sexy lady that's gonna be a part of his story for the rest of whatever that story is. Yeah. One thing in particular about this scene, and we'll we'll get to like, you know, what all the characters are doing in a minute, but Alfred walks past Vicky Vale in this scene, and it's it gives you we set up Alfred's character very specifically and and this version of Alfred is doing two things pretty much this whole movie for one he's just constantly picking up after Bruce Wayne (laughs) Yeah. Like, this whole scene, Bruce Wayne, like, when we, as he's walking around the event, he's just 
like kind of absent-mindedly putting down his drink somewhere, and then Alfred is just catching it before <laughs> he like places it on the edge of something and it falls. Um, and he just keeps catching all these things that Bruce Wayne is just like leaving behind himself like a child (laughs) because of course Bruce Wayne is constantly leaving things everywhere he was raised by a butler (laughs) and it makes perfect sense (laughs) Never learned how to pick up after himself. Yeah, yeah. I like starting like watching this movie through, and and this sets up the dynamic of both characters like immediately, and it's and it's why I ended up loving this Bruce Wayne so much. Mm-hmm. It's because it's not necessarily. Like, the super, like, socially skilled, very aware Bruce Wayne of especially the modern comic books. Mm-hmm. He's exactly what you would expect of a rich young boy. <laughs> Raised by a butler. He's he's a little odd. He doesn't really get all the social cues. He's very... He's he's just focused on what he wants to do and what he's doing in the moment. You can imagine his place would just look like a trash heap if Alfred wasn't around. (laughs) Alfred in this scene also, when he walks past Vicky Vale before there's any been any real introductions, he he gives a look back and he's not looking back for himself. He's not looking back like, dang, look at that lady. He's looking back because he's playing matchmaker. Because through the entire movie, Alfred is like baby crazy, and he wants to be a grandpa butler. (laughs) Like, 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 later on in the movie, it's like, Bruce Wayne and Vicky Vale have gone out once, and Alfred's like, well, you should probably marry her and just <laughs> get it over with and make me yeah. a grandpa butler. <laughs> and so he's, and I, I, I hesitate to say wingman because Bruce Wayne doesn't even necessarily want to be with Vicky Vale. 
I suggest playing matchmaker, and it's from the second he sees Vicky Vale. <laughs> I I definitely noticed that I picked up on that from not from that moment, but definitely from. Like, the moment that Alfred, like, after they had their first date and Alfred's like, you should, uh, probably start settling down with her <laughs> if you know what's good for ya. Eh, you know. Okay, sorry. We'll get... We'll get to the date scene in a little bit, because, uh, unsurprisingly, I have thoughts. <laughs> so, Vicky and Knox walk into the party, and I guess they're, they're looking for Bruce Wayne... But I guess they've never met him because why would they? And uh, and she actually walks up to Bruce Wayne and says, you know, she basically asks, hey, is is Bruce Wayne around? And he just sort of gives her this look. He's like, uh, haven't seen him. It's kind of a little, it's kind of a, a meat cute, as they say. <laughs> yeah, and he just sort of walks away. <laughs> At this point, for the audience, like, this is also the first time as viewers that we've seen Bruce Wayne. And unless you know who the casting is, you technically, like, you might not know this is Bruce Wayne, who is also Batman. Unless you just really know Michael Keaton's chin. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, some people might have at that point. Yeah. He I'm sure, I'm sure everyone knew who it was going in, but just as far as, like... It was yeah. kind of a... It was kind of a... It was... It was kind of a fun introduction to Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Yeah. Knox ends up talking to Commissioner Gordon. And I know this because he apparently called Gordon Gordo. <laughs> uh, Is that something you, know, you put in your notes? That is something I wrote down in my notes. Because I take down the important things in, in these notes. 
I don't remember anything else about the scene, but I know that he called Gordon Gordo. <laughs> I'm I'm bad at watching movies, you guys. I'm really sorry. <laughs> so I think there was there was a point where because Harvey Dent's at this party also and he finds out from somebody I'm not quite sure who he might have mentioned it during during the discussion with Gordon about the uh, the raid at the chemical factory Gordon says who was supposed to be there who's on the raid and he says Eckhart Gordon's pretty pissed about it so they leave because they're gonna go take care of business oh yeah 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 because they end up using that scene the exact footage from the movie (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. (laughs) Yeah, in a bit. (laughs) Yeah. Because there's also a scene... There's also a scene where, uh, where Knox and Vicky are walking through some other random room, and they're... They're basically, like, bad-mouthing Batman... Yeah, it's or the no, room of Bruce the Bruce room of statues. Yeah, they're they're like talking about how Bruce Wayne is this weird eccentric, you know, goofball, and they don't realize that he's following them silently. And I really enjoyed that scene. <laughs> They don't know what's happening. <laughs> he was using his Batman stealth. Yeah. So, I think that's another... If people didn't know going in that Bruce Wayne and Batman were the same person or that Michael Keaton played both roles... Hey, actually, you know what, now that I think about it, that's sort of an interesting parallel to the first scene with the two robbers. How he sort of stalks them. Yes! Uh, While they're talking about him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's talking about what a weirdo he is. It's a... It's a pretty well-crafted movie, Sam. Yeah. Like, you know, (laughs) I feel like you should have watched this movie three or four more times because I think I would have noticed this more, you know, I would have noticed this rather than realizing it while recording. (laughs) I mean, Tim Burton aside, let's not forget Sam Ham. Yes. 
Sam Ham of Mantis fame yeah was behind this <laughs> we're in good hands yes good good hams good hams yeah. <laughs> uh, what I liked about when when uh, Gordon comes in and kind of gives the the wink wink nudge nudge that Batman needs to start chasing after Commissioner and see where they're going is they pull out of the they pull out of that big room that Knox and Vicky Vale are still standing in and they go behind this massive mirror and you know obviously you expect there's probably a camera looking in on the room but what's great is like from our perspective, how low budget of a camera is sitting behind this mirror? <laughs> it's just this like old school camcorder. It's just on like an oscillating <laughs> movement back and forth. I mean, that was. That was state of the art in 1989. That was state of the art, man. <laughs> what was that? RCA? Was that the brand? I don't know. It probably. <laughs> I think they were like the main video cassette. Vi no, vi video cassette recorder. Not video cassette recorder. The, the camcorder, video camcorder brand. They were the name in camcorder brand camcorders. Yes, they were. Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so we see... Bruce Wayne watching the exact scene that we saw <laughs> of, of Dent and Gordon discussing the thing, the raid at the chemical factory. And he's like, well, shit, I gotta go there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he suits up, I assume. And yeah, so Commissioner comes in and kind of overrides Chris, uh, overrides Eckhart and with, uh, yeah, and I couldn't tell what was happening at all because there were so many, like, whip hands and fast cuts and all I could focus on was the fact that I forgot how primitive 1980s sound effects were <laughs> because all the gunshots were like the gunshot sound effects were like cutting each other off 
when they would have like one gunshot would be like halfway done and they'd start another gunshot sound effect <laughs> and they'd have all the the, the signatures like ricochet sound effects and things and that's all I could concentrate on. <laughs> so I couldn't tell what was happening in the actual film. Lost in this gunfire. <laughs> yes. It's ridiculous. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Maybe not punk. Maybe... Maybe really sad emo. Yeah, I was thinking emo or screamo. Yeah. It seemed like that from when he was sort of initially sort of stalking him, right? Like he saw Napier and he sort of had that sort of glint in his eye like I know this person yes like yeah well they do they play it real subtle for the first yeah. few times or yeah. not necessarily subtle just like you know that there's some sort of recognition Oh, but they don't address it really other than it's happening which is kind of cool yeah and um was there was there was there or was there not a point and feel free to to correct me if I'm wrong but wasn't there a point where where, where um Joker just straight up murdered Eckhart. Y yes, yes, yeah. Um, because Batman Cause... stops him from killing the commissioner, and then he ends up not long after getting a shot directly to murder Eckhart. Yeah, because, I mean, Eckhart basically... I don't know if you want to call it double... I guess he sort of double-crossed him. Since... But Eckhart said before that he was in Grissom's prop. Grissom's pocket, not, not Napier's. So, I guess he was just mad that Eckhart set him up to get, well, Grissom set him up to get caught. So... Joker decided oh, let's just go ahead and kill Eckhart while we're at it because he wasn't and we saw earlier that they didn't really get along too yeah exactly so it was like eh, I might as well yeah 
so. Yeah, so then, um, then Batman accidentally makes the Joker, right? Yeah, he, um, classic scene. Yeah, he's, uh, cause Joker's like sort of hanging. He, he gets, he gets knocked over the railing, but he's sort of hanging by, like a, he's hanging by a chain or something, right? Yeah, he's holding on to like a pipe over a yeah. huge vat of whatever Axis Chemicals is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess Batman... I'm not sure, does he, he just, uh, like, lets him fall, right? No, no, so it's class, uh, so it's Batman, so he's trying yeah. to, even though he, he, like, punked, punked Jack over the rails, he's, mm -hmm. he doesn't want him dead. He'll be right. he'll murder plenty of people later in the movie, but at this point oh, in the yeah. movie, he still has a code where he's not murdering, <laughs> um, which is pretty common in Batman movies. Yeah. Um, and so he's trying to grab him, but. Ends up slipping through his hands, and Jack mm. falls into the vat. It's what he gets for yeah. wearing rubber. You shouldn't wear the rubber. I know. I mean, you should. You listen, guys. Oh, yeah. make sure you're wearing the rubber. Yeah. Just you know, be safe. Just yeah, like not not on your hands. Yeah, that's that's weird. But in this particular case, you know, if you do it on your hands, you might drop a psychopathic mobster into a vat of chemicals. Yeah, and cause him to go insane. Yeah. Yeah. So then, the commissioner for the first time sees Batman standing on the rails, and it looks like potentially, you know, maybe he'd done it on purpose just from uh, the ups mm. from observing below. And, uh, and then, it's, it's kind of cool, you get to see Batman do an escape from Commissioner's Angle, which is down oh, at yeah. the very bottom of the warehouse floor looking up, where mm -hmm. Batman drops his, um, The smoke bomb thing. Yeah, and then, and then uses his 
grappling hook to get out of there. Yeah, so you, you still sort of see him going upwards, even through the smoke, because you're looking at it from well below, so the angle kind of shows him still leaving, even though he's trying to be subtle about it. Or yeah. trying to sneak away. It's like, I oh, tried. Well, I, it's, it's it's funny, but what's cool about it is up on the catwalk where he is, there's cops coming to either side. So from their perspective, and, oh yeah, so it's like you get to kind of see how his stealth works and then even commissioner gets to see kind of what he's capable of doing mm -hmm. it's kind of cool yeah and then you get and the white hand of the joker moment yeah which why do I mean I get I like this this is what I I I, I spent a lot of time reading articles on like TV tropes and cracked and that sort of thing because I have you know that kind of time. Okay. And okay. They they were actually they were one of the articles I read was about um, inexplicable scenes in movies that sort of take you out of the moment. And remind you that you're watching a movie. Okay. And this is this was sort of one of them because there's no reason that this scene needs to exist except to let the audience know. It's like, hey, wait, should you describe it real quick? Because I, I just right. Yeah. Oh yeah, because. Because what's happening is we sort of, we just sort of see the, the vat of chemicals that's just sort of floating a little bit, just like moving a little bit. And then we see a hand rise out of the acid and we're like, I mean, that's a cool scene because it, like, shows that, oh, shit, Jack's not actually dead, but something weird has happened to him. I'm going to make time. Go, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to mention that because this, this scene is not necessarily for any of the other characters in the movie. It's for the audience to realize that, oh, this character's still alive. So that's, it, it didn't necessarily take me out of it. It just reminded me of that article on, I think it was on Cracked there, read about specific movie scenes that 
remind us that we're watching a movie or something. Did they reference this movie as well, or are you just like, yeah, this is definitely in line with what they were talking about? No, it was more like, this is, this is in line. Gotcha. I don't remember if they gave any specific examples, but this just seemed like one of those scenes. It's like, this isn't for any of the characters that are in the film because they all figure he's dead because he fell into a vat of acid. <laughs> but then it's like, we get we get the hand bursting out of the acid and that's meant to that's just for the audience it feels like i'm not saying i'm not complaining no 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 i'm just saying it was it was a scene that reminded me of a thing that i read on a, on a humor article or humor website well, this scene also pointed out to me that, because, yes, it was from the chemicals, but one key detail that we're missing about this is that it was actually in the, uh, like, the river just outside of Axis Chemicals because he, Joker like turns out there's just a big pipe coming from Axis Chemicals and spilling out into the river outside <laughs> of <laughs> facility so hey man it's the 80s <laughs> I'm pretty sure the EPA didn't exist yet Axis Chemicals is just a villain from Captain Planet <laughs> where the villain's jobs were only to pollute things <laughs> <laughs> that was the only job of a Captain Planet villain. <laughs> uh, so oh my god, that's amazing. So yes, so Joker's hand pops up out of the super polluted river. Yeah. And then it cuts yes. to the date scene. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, the uh... <laughs> I love the first part of this where... Was it... That he was asking him to ask something or she was asking him a question? Yeah, like pass the salt. Yeah, and then it you know shows her asking him to pass the salt, and then the scene, and then it shows him asking, "What?" 
she cuts back to her. You passed the salt. He says, okay. And then he picks up the salt. And he stands up. And walks down this giant fucking table. (laughs) To hand her the salt. That's just... I love that part. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they played the gag for sure. There's even the whole, like, trying to talk but having to keep asking for the repeat. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's, it's a... It's very, like, rom-com... It... It, at this level of like jokingly uh, comical wealth. Mm-hmm. What it makes me wonder is first is. Is this just, does Bruce Wayne in this version of Batman just not go on dates that often? Like, does he think that having dinner across this giant table, like, is that, is that a good, is that a, does he think that'd be a good thing? And if so, it plays into my my perception of this Bruce Wayne, <laughs> which is just kind of out of touch, a little bit absent-minded, because he was raised by a fucking butler and as a super ultra wealthy young kid. Yeah, I... I can't imagine that he would go on many dates. I mean, this... this iteration of Bruce Wayne, because, I mean... He's not a playboy. No, he's... I mean, he's... He's in his, what, early, mid-thirties? And you can tell Alfred is... He's sort of like that... He's at that point as as, as a father figure... Where he's like, okay, look, you're you're not getting any younger. Just just please, just please have just give me a grandchild. That's all I want. <laughs> Grandpa Butler coming this this fall to ABC. A grandchild master. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it just, yeah, it it just that must be his idea of a, of a good date. 
is uh, is showing her the the. I, gu- I guess that's their their eat their um, dining room, which she probably doesn't use very often anyway. I mean, the alternative is is that he is a playboy, and this is kind of a humanizing gimmick. Where he's like, hey, you know what? I've never been in this room before. Isn't that silly? And then they end up eating dinner in the kitchen. And Alfred's telling humorous stories about him. (laughs) Full-on wingman style. You know? That's the alternative. It could be that. It could very well be that. You you just, you can't tell this early on. No. Because he he seems like, he seems like a clueless idiot when it comes to to uh to to dates but maybe that's his gimmick maybe we we don't know i'm pretty sure he's just a crazy out of touch man more than likely i mean he <laughs> he he is a billionaire and that's just kind of how that happens how that works with billionaires <laughs> they are all insane and completely out of touch with reality so makes sense um but yeah, so the date goes super well. Thanks mostly to Alfred. Alfred hooks <laughs> Batman <laughs> up. Yep. Telling all those embarrassing stories and ah. Uh, Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, just and just to uh, to light the mood a little bit more, I believe after this we we get to the the scene the the reveal of the Joker. Oh yeah, which um, I I will admit to you and to all of our wonderful listeners that I know this scene from a parody version of this scene done by The Simpsons, <clears throat> where the 
the exact same thing happens, except it's Lisa Simpson in the chair, and she just had these horrifying braces installed. <laughs> and it's, it's like the same thing. Like, she wakes up from the, the anesthesia, and the, the doctor is trying to tell her, I did everything I could, and all she says is, the mirror. <laughs> and he hands her the mirror, and she starts doing the Joker laugh. And she shatters the mirror. <laughs> and it shows the silhouette of her with these terrifying braces on. <laughs> and as, as soon as I saw that scene, I was like, Oh, that's where they got that from! What season I, was that from? It was pretty early on. Oh. It was, um... It was probably around the time it was... People would recognize it. Yeah, it yeah. was... It, it couldn't have been more than season three, I would think. It was... The, it was, um... It was the one where the... Where Homer becomes the union rep for all of the workers at the nuclear power plant. Okay. And he tries to get dental insurance back because he doesn't want to have to pay for... wants to get Lisa to have good braces. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I thought... I figured that was just some weird way that they introduced the braces to Lisa as a character turns out no it's a parody of this scene that's pretty um, awesome the, <laughs> the Joker's reveal <laughs> which Jesus Christ I mean if if there's a better way to introduce a character like the Joker, I can't think of one. That's pretty great. Yeah, cause the 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 plastic surgeon guy is trying to explain that he did everything he could. But I think he said, like, the there was too much nerve damage yeah. to, to his face. He just feels, this guy, this back alley surgeon feels so bad. He's <laughs> like, you see what I have to work with here? <laughs> 
and then he's trying to be kind of positive, you know, he's trying yeah. to, he's like, he's like, you know, if, if you get proper reconstructive surgery, mm-hmm. you, you can fix this. And Napier, who we've been told is just crazy, just, I guess this is just the, this is just what cracks him. Yeah, because he, all he asks is to see is for the mirror, and then he looks at himself. And he just starts laughing. Mm-hmm. And he can't stop laughing. And he's got and a he's, pretty good Joker laugh. Oh, it's so good. And he's... Because it's... It's Jack Nicholson's laugh, but it's... High, it's, it's sometimes it's high-pitched. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a hyena laughing, and it's just, it's terrifying and awesome, and the the surgeon is just, like, backing away into a corner because he's terrified of what's happening just because this insane man has completely lost his mind and is I yeah it's 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 one of the it's probably one of the best origin scenes you could ask for in a villain for in any superhero movie Oh, and, you know, the Joker's pretty good. He understands that this surgeon did the best he can. He just leaves laughing crazy up the stairs. He doesn't hurt the guy. Yep. You know, as far as the surgeon... He's probably my third favorite of these uh, low-key characters who have Mm -hmm. unexpected character development. (laughs) 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 I I, I got a picture of who the surgeon was. (laughs) Yeah. Which... It's, again, I'm not going to criticize Sam Hamm for his writing and story, but he, because I like the fact that he gives character development and personality to these characters that we'll only see once, (laughs) but, and... I know he's probably trying to set up characters like Harvey Dent and, and Commissioner Gordon to to appear in later films, but 
I just feel like he kind of left them in the dust after a little while. I genuinely don't know if they were really setting up for sequels back then in the same way they do these days. Maybe not. I think it might have just been like, these are characters we should put them in. Yeah, like, their their name recognition. Like, people recognize Harvey Dent and Commissioner yeah. Gordon. But, yeah, it, it does seem kind of weird that he gives more character development to characters that we will see once rather than, you know staple characters like Commissioner Gordon and Harvey Dent even though those characters disappear halfway through the movie anyway I mean I'm not complaining about it I love the thieves and the doctor oh yeah they're fantastic I'm just I just wish that he would have given the same care to as many characters as possible but as we as we know from Batman Forever the Mm -hmm. commissioner never gets too much development that's that's true I mean at, at least in this film he's mildly competent yeah. At his job. I mean, in Batman Forever, he is just the worst. He's checked out. And you can yeah. kind of see the, the Commissioner Gordon's arc starting at the end of this movie. And then. And how he quickly just gives over letting Batman <laughs> take care of things. That's true. Yeah, he's just yeah. like, oh, I don't care anymore. Just he's trying to do his job in this one. Yeah. And with Batman exactly. forever, he's like, where is Batman? <laughs> See, now I want to watch these. I want to watch Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin in order just to see the Commissioner Gordon character arc now. Because I'm curious. Like, Like, does he... Does he drop further into the into the bat hole in Batman Returns, and then eventually by Batman Forever he just doesn't give a shit anymore. And then what happens in Batman and Robin? Does he just is he in a catatonic state? Like, what happens <laughs> to him at that point? I'm really curious now. 
These are questions that need to be answered, and I'm sure that everyone who's listening to this has actually seen all of well, at least the first couple movies. Sure, sure, sure. And they're probably yelling at me like, why haven't you seen these movies? Because I don't watch a lot of movies, you guys, and I'm sorry. I mean, that's a pretty interesting thing to hear, considering that, uh, you do movie review podcasts. I, okay, um, here, I'll, I'll let you know a little secret. Oh, sweet, I love secrets. I won't tell Um, anybody. Good, good. Uh, and and all of you listeners, I hope you also keep this a secret because I don't want Ben to know this either. Yeah, don't say um, a word, you guys and no, ladies. Please don't. Please don't. Um, I um. The only time I watch movies is when I do this podcast. What? Yeah, I just, I just don't watch a lot of movies. Like, I I never have. Sam. Movies are, movies are great, but... The movies that you've... The movies that you've watched for Matinee Manatees, (laughs) though... That... So when you do watch movies, it's like Twilight and Resident Evil. Yeah, but... But... But then we also get Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, pretty great. Um, we get Super Mario Brothers. Pretty great. I I can't remember any other one. I mean, this one's pretty good. We're still partway through yeah. it, but yeah. yeah. Um. The Lost Boys was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I don't remember what other movies I've done. I mean, for, for every good movie that we've reviewed, there is a Wild Wild West. <laughs> or a Twilight. <laughs> Or, um, Twilight. Speaking of Batman, by the way. Uh oh, what? You you didn't hear the news about the newly casted Batman? Which is. There's another one? Oh, yeah, yeah, Robert Pattinson. Yeah, Mm. I did hear about that. Mm hmm. I think that's going to be a very vampire guy. 
I think it's actually going to be interesting, because I think everyone who was in the Twilight movies has basically disowned them as being trash, and most of them have actually gone on to make much better movies. Like, Kristen Stewart can actually act, from what I've heard. I haven't seen any other movies she's been in, but she's um, apparently actually a good actress. I guess it depends on what we call acting. But... Well, okay. Um, cardboard cutout, uh, figurining. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. She can totally do that. Well, I've, I mean, I've heard that in other movies she actually can, like, emote and things. And same for Robert Pattinson. Like, he actually can play a nuanced character. Ah. But... So it sounds like perhaps it was just a direction that really kind of similar to what you hear about um, Hayden Christensen. Yeah, exactly. Like, they, they were just there for the paycheck is what it sounded like for pretty much everyone on that in that series. Uh, what little I know about, well, what, say that actor's name again? Uh, Robert Pattinson? It seems like he could pull off a pretty decent version of Bruce Wayne. The question will be for me if he can do good Batman. Hmm. It's it remains to be seen, but um, this is just me assuming. But I have a feeling that pretty much anyone could do better than Ben Affleck. Yeah, Ben Affleck really benefited from what I think was really good design because they basically just pulled his costume straight from Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. And it's like the closest visual adaptation we've gotten to Batman in the comics. But that was just visual. I also haven't seen either of the movies that he's in where he plays Batman. I'm just assuming that they're terrible. Yeah, we don't need to talk about him. Okay, we don't have to then. So next up, mm-hmm. um, 
What happened? Oh yeah. Joker walked out on Super Sad Surgeon. Yeah, and then in my notes, um, I wrote down, uh, Vicky sees Bruce hanging upside down. So, I think they were, they were, they were hanging out in bed like you do. Mm-hmm. And, um, then Bruce gets up to, I guess, do some night thinking. And because he, he likes to, he likes to incorporate the bat lifestyle into his, his real life lifestyle. He does that thing that, uh, crazy people do where they hang themselves upside down. But instead of doing like crunches or whatever, he's just kind of thinking. It elongates your spine, too. Hmm. Yeah. I should do that. My spine is all messed up. Although, you have to be careful. You can't just go straight to the full vertical hang. They have these things where you can... You still lock in your legs up. But you lay down on this, um, on this board, basically, and then you can tilt and start going slowly at an angle downward, because you gotta kind of get yourself used to it, because that's a lot of blood rushing straight to your head. Ah, yeah, good point. Hmm. On the other hand, I could really do with a good spinal realignment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I could either do that, or I could go and have, like, one of those tiny Japanese women walk on my back. Let's try to fix that. Is that the only other option? Yes. There are no other options. So it's either hang upside down, hang upside down from my, um, from my tail, or, um, or have a tiny Japanese woman walk on my back. You live in I a can't think of any other really, way to fix my back. Really weird binary world, <laughs> Sam. <laughs> hey, I that's all I deal in is binary. <laughs> I don't understand what this gray area everyone keeps talking about is. 
Oh my god. Well, um, you know, I guess flip a coin and you got your answer. Alright then. And then Sam became two faced. Which explains why I like Batman forever. They just keep recasting Harvey Dent, so why can't you be next? (laughs) I mean, you know what? Manatees are not represented enough in Hollywood. I think we need a Manatee Two-Face. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A North American matinee manatee. Yes. Make it happen, Hollywood. Otherwise, uh, we're gonna... I mean, we're gonna we're gonna stay in the bayou because we we can't really leave for very long periods of time. But we're we're gonna we're gonna be very mad at you. Okay, real real question, Sam. Does does Hollywood? Do you know if Hollywood's listening to the podcast? I mean, Hollywood is, it's a state of mind, you know? It's not like just a place. So, I'd like to think that even if Hollywood the place may not necessarily be listening to us. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hollywood the idea is thinking is listening to us. Whoa, did we just get really stoned? I I yes. Okay. It, that would explain why I ate so much Taco Bell before we started this podcast. So, when Jack Napier as the Joker... <laughs> you just completely ignored that. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I'm move on now. <laughs> Walks into Grissom's sweet, sweet penthouse. Yeah. Uh, he says, Is that you, sugar bumps? <laughs> <laughs> because Grissom thinks it's his wife. <laughs> But it's not, and it's the Joker. Because he's 80 years old <laughs> and does not understand <laughs> sugar bombs. Uh, <laughs>
<laughs> That's another good name for a band. Sugar Bumps? Yeah, that'd yeah. be like a good, um, like, like an, an indie band. We are the Sugar Bumps. Hey, we Sugar Bumps. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so then, uh, Jack, I think, it says, I am no longer Jack Napier, I'm the Joker, I think he, he claims it, right? Mm -hmm. For whatever reason. Yeah. And, um, well, what if because he's so crazy, I mean, alternate reality, he just, instead of saying I'm the Joker, he just accepts the moniker given to him by Grissom on accident <laughs> and goes, Jack's dead, my friend. You can call me Sugar Bumps. <laughs> direction. Tim Burton <laughs> obviously didn't go that way. Slightly different. Sam Hamm probably wanted to go that way, but Tim I, Burton I, didn't. God, Tim Burton. Always ruining the brilliance of Sam Hamm. Yeah. Constantly. What a shame. <laughs> so, he, he murders Grissom, right? Am I not remembering that correctly? Oh yeah, he just shoots him hell of like, times. Yeah, shoots like, him a bunch. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, oh yeah, cause, oh yeah, I forgot, cause, cause he shoots him. And then Grissom, like, instead of falling over dead, he does that thing in movies where he clutches his chest and staggers backwards, and then Joker keeps shooting him, and he keeps falling backwards instead of just dying. But, you know... Well, he's a mobster, right? So it's like, that's a pretty classic mobster death. That is true. They did basically the same thing in The Godfather. Yeah. Where what's-his-name got shot like 300 times and then fell over. 
It's actually a misconception, Sam, that this is just a movie thing. In reality, if you're a mobster, that's just the only way you're capable of dying. Oh. Yeah. See, see, I'm not involved with the mafia or the mobs, so I did not know that. Oh yeah, it's so cool. Neither was... am I. Sure you're not. I know. Wink. <laughs> um, sorry. I, I had to say it. I was winking. I can't wink hard enough to make it pick up on the microphone. Yet. Keep trying. <laughs> Never give up. Okay. No, don't try that hard. I think I sprained my eye. Alright. We gotta <laughs> shut it down here. Podcast over. I, no. I love you. For <laughs> like 20 minutes in the movie. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> well, stop winking so hard, fool. I can't. My eyes twitching now. <laughs> I can't not wink. <laughs> Yes, he I'm does have the new Batman villain, the Wink Master. What sort of abilities does the Wink Master have? I I creep people out with my constant winking. Oh, ew! I make them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the appropriate response. Oh. I'm uncomfortable by that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I That's don't know if I master. would, like, I'm not sure I would turn the bat signal on for it, but... <laughs> I would definitely create a personal boundary from you. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> oh my god. <clears throat> okay, so... This is a question that I have for you, and I think you already answered it for me. Um, so those are prosthetics on on Jack Nicholson's face that make him with the smile, right? Oh, it's gotta be. It's gotta be some sort of... Like, I'm guessing they have, like, some sort of tape or something kind of 
pulling his face a little bit, and then I'm assuming they didn't, unfortunately, my DVD of the Batman series, which I, which I found, it's the, it's the complete four-part collection. Mm-hmm. on two discs mm-hmm. but it's one of those budget ones so there's no additional features okay. otherwise I would have watched every single special feature <laughs> um, but yeah so I'm guessing there's some sort of tape kind of like pulling the mouth open a little bit and then looks like they kind of put on some sort of face putty to kind of exaggerate it a little bit. Okay, because cause it did look like it, it was it was definitely very just sort of disconcerting looking at his face with that. I just, I wasn't sure if they had some sort of prosthetic on or or if it was just some sort of weird makeup trickery that they did. But yeah, that makes sense because his cheekbones seemed awfully large. It's legitimately creepy, because also the makeup job is so good, and the the white and the green are so kind of like, they just pop, it's so vibrant, Mm -hmm. that like, yeah, it's it's off-putting. Yeah, I mean... Like, like, Heath Ledger's version was, was definitely creepy, but the whole story behind how his, his mouth got to where it was, was just sort of like, didn't, didn't someone just like slash his mouth up, upwards or something? Basically, the gimmick, not the gimmick, but sort of the the neat thing about the character and that is he keeps telling the story of how it happened, but the story is different every time, so it's a mystery. Oh, okay. Okay. It's a pretty neat character detail. Yeah, but I, I the, the the design for his, for Heath Ledger's character, like it was definitely creepy because you, you could see the like the slash marks that sort of 
force his mouth into a permanent smile, but it wasn't to the it wasn't nearly as just disconcerting to look at as the as the Jack Nicholson version of the Joker because you get this sort of weird sort of uncanny valley feeling when you're looking at Jack Nicholson's character like is mm-hmm. is is that just him especially weird- later when he's wearing the flesh toned makeup yeah it's especially is- creepy Oh, God, it's like, I can't tell if he's just, if that's just the greatest acting job ever, or if it's just subtle prosthetics, or makeup, or CGI, or what, but whatever they did, it's just... So creepy to look at. Yeah. It's awesome. Every time. And yeah. Nicholson really, like, plays to the prosthetic, too. He, he, he does good. We talked about Michael Keaton's torso work earlier. <laughs> uh, Nicholson does really good face work. Yeah, definitely. Let's see. Well, I forget where we went from here. Uh, let's see. So, so Joker killed Grissom. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a bunch of shit down about if it's prosthetics or not about his face. Um, right, so, so I guess we get to the point where Bruce, I guess, told Vicky that he was going to be going out of town on business, but then as she's leaving, Alfred, just like, she says, you know, have fun on your trip, and Alfred's like, what trip? And I'm like, damn it, Alfred! Why didn't you coordinate your lies? Oh, yeah, especially since Alfred's really trying to play a matchmaker. He he messed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then this puts Vicky on her after sleeping with this guy once and then not getting the hint that he's maybe just trying to be polite about not meeting up again 
she starts snooping <laughs> through his <laughs> records at the newspaper and then begins stalking him and taking <laughs> pictures of him to see what he's doing when he said that he was going to be out of town. Mm-hmm. And as a result, she ends up snooping on one of Bruce Wayne's most private moments, where he's right. going to leave roses for his dead parents. Yeah. And while she's there, she calls Knox to have him look up the significance of the cross streets that she's photographing Bruce Wayne on. She just goes full stalker. (laughs) I mean, I guess what we have to take from this is even if Bruce Wayne is not necessarily the best in terms of social interaction with the opposite sex he's apparently a dynamo in the sack oh yeah well I mean that and the fact that you know dude's got tons of money Oh, yeah, there's, there's that, too. Yeah. It does seem a little odd, though, because Vicky Vale came to Gotham to start trying to figure out who this Batman was. And then... I don't... We don't have any real indication that she thinks Batman and Bruce Wayne are connected at this point. This is just sort of a separate thing that she's suddenly really intent on figuring out, which is just her dating life all of a sudden. Investigative journalism side a little bit. Yeah, she becomes a little bit less of a badass. Yeah, yes. With this this uh, creepy stalker vibe <laughs> that she's got going on. <laughs> And bringing Knox into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she's stalking him, and then 
as a result, he comes upon, and then because she's fallen, they both come upon like a press conference of something, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, um... Shit, I didn't write this all down, because for some reason in my notes I wrote down something about somebody taking over Grissom's businesses, his practices. Yeah. Um, Okay, so... Um... Try and get the details because there's a few things that go on in this part that are relevant. We've actually kind of talked about a little bit. Oh, it's like I think I think the press conference was about was maybe it was the mayor trying to reiterate that he wasn't going to shut down. He wasn't going to stop the Bicentennial Festival thing. Well, this one actually was regarding who was going to, like, so people heard that, um, well, nobody heard that Grissom's dead. So it's right. like these people, these reporters are asking questions of this guy who was asked to take over the business. Um, okay. And yeah, and so they like they're they're talking about Grissom having gone on some long vacation, quote-unquote. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Bruce Wayne just kind of stumbles upon it, and then all these mimes start yeah. wearing black and white, start walking through the crowd. That was so weird. Um, and Joker comes out in that really awesome black and white suit with the with the mm-hmm. large top hat, and just mm-hmm. kills the guy who's taking over for Grissom with a feather. He just like <laughs> throws it straight into the guy's neck. Another just like great Joker moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, I believe like a bunch of the the mime goons. By the way, this is the first time we really get to see some of Joker's goons and as we'll see here and then in later parts of the movie the goons for Joker just get to have the best time <laughs> they, just, they seem to really be enjoying their job, you know, they're like really getting into their mime work, 
And like, and I mean, we'll we'll get to it later, but they also get their own dance number. The oh yes, that's a part that's almost. Oh, okay. I can't wait to get to that part. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah. Okay, so this part... Yeah, so they start shooting Tommy guns because, of course, in Gotham, everyone's still using Tommy guns. And as the Joker dives into uh, the getaway car, Bruce Wayne is just like walking through gunfire because he's Mm -hmm. kind of mesmerized looking at the Joker's face. And it's again one of those moments where it's like, what? There's clearly something Bruce recognizes. And he even gets shot in the arm and doesn't really even notice it. Hmm. Um, and I think Vicky Vale saves him. She, like, gets him to duck or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what's next. Yeah, I'm looking through. So, a black and white Joker costume. I took some notes too. About partway through, I started kind of like really getting into the movie. So, some of my notes start, uh, start going down. But one thing. I think the next scene is we cut to Joker is watching, yes, Joker's watching television and the news is talking about Batman and he's like, uh, What's going on? I think this is where we get the sign. Uh, uh, Joker's talking with his second-in-command. And he's like, what's, like... I just do all this stuff, and Batman's getting all the airtime. This city needs an anima. <laughs> also, another famous line from this movie. I think in a Prince remix of one of the songs, they actually use that, uh, they use that 
Um, that line. This city needs an anima. Um, and this, uh, so it's like, this kind of solidifies his hate of Batman, um, because he's still in his airtime, and then Vicky Vale, I think, shows up on TV, and, uh, just like Alfred noticing her... Uh, but for a different reason, the Joker sees her and is like, like, I dig that woman. We need her. <laughs> and just goes all like Koopa to her <laughs> Princess Peach. That is the perfect analogy to this. (laughs) So that's what I recall there. (laughs) That's at least what I remember about that particular part. (laughs) Oh, I think... I mentioned, I wrote this down, I guess, specifically because I remembered it. I think when he saw Vicky on the, on the TV for the first time, I think there was this abrupt shift in the music to that sort of, that sort of, famous romantic music scene that you hear in like all the romantic movies where it's like be still my heart I've seen the woman that I love and all that sort of thing okay okay I think it was this scene but it may have been later I I can't remember for sure. You're saying it was a music cue? Yes. Okay. It was a point where it's like, it, it goes from the, the sort of typical um, Danny Elfman is trying to take over the movie with his ridiculous bombastic music to that sort of, the, you know, the it's that song that you hear in a bunch of that the stereotypical romantic like it's it's like a trope. This particular song, I don't know what it's called. Is it similar but, to um? Uh, someone just reminded me of this recently. It's uh, it's like the theme song for Gladiator is the same theme song for Pirates of the Caribbean. It's the same theme song for something else. It's like one of those types of songs. 
Yeah, it's it's probably been in a. It may have actually never been in a like a romantic movie, but it's one of those it's one of those songs that gets associated with the, like the romantic scenes of like two people running at running towards each other at the beach in slow motion because they're they're they found their true love or something and this is that same music that gets played except it's the Joker falling in love with Vicky Vale over a TV screen. Okay, okay. And it, it actually, it, um, the same music cue comes up later when the Joker visits Vicky at her apartment, um, which that's one of my favorite parts in the movie is that part, but we'll get to that later. Yes. Um, but anyway, that's, that's for some reason what I wrote down. Um, that's all I got out of <laughs> <laughs> right, and, okay, so, this, is this the scene where... So he's watching the, the news broadcast, and this is the one where the where the female anchor, like the 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 male anchor, is trying to like describe some horrible situation that's happened. And then the female anchor just starts laughing. Yes. She's describing all this. All these people yeah. have died. She just starts laughing, and he's. This is hardly the time for this, Martha, or whatever her name is. And they're doing this kind of this uh, stylistic thing with the. They carry throughout the movie anytime we go to news coverage of something, or sometimes they'll pull out and they'll show two monitors as if you're like in the recording room. So you'll see like, and on one camera you see the male anchor. Yeah. Going like Becky, what's wrong? And yeah. then on the other, the other one, there's a camera just next to it, and you see her laughing hysterically, and then you see the the like visual shift where skin goes white um, mm -hmm. and green because the Joker. Uh, Cause this is where he takes over the airways for the first time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They're talking yeah, about, like, the new scene's talking about the two women who were found, like, Joker-fied. 
Um, the, the it's like two deaths from the mysterious laughing sickness. Like that's what the new scene is about at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then the, the Joker takes over the airwaves and like just breaks it down for Gotham and, and saying that a bunch of stuff is poisoned. Better be careful. <laughs> Put on a happy face. Wasn't the wasn't the brand called like Smilex or something too? Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like I think the joke is that all the products are like now feature Smilex. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And the Joker. I love the. I love whenever Joker takes over the airwaves because <laughs> how the hell does he do it? First of all, <laughs> it's not. I mean, yeah. Go ahead. It's, I mean, yeah. These we don't need it explained. The Joker just does it. At, yeah, at I mean, some point in the movie, I think we hear Batman say that Jack Napier had aptitudes for science, chemistry, and art. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, so that just kind of... Just like, okay, well... If he has aptitudes for that, then... Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the 80s. It's probably a lot easier to do that. I think. A modern version of this would just be, what, the Joker taking over streaming services? Probably something like that. <laughs> Just like, yeah. Or you're listening sure to your podcasts and somehow he just interrupts <laughs> the, yeah, the exactly. pre-recorded <laughs> download that you have. <laughs> Or he just replaces your download with him. Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know how that would work nowadays. Yeah, I don't know. Only... Only Hmm. people watching basic cable would be able to be in- interrupted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. That, that, 
It just doesn't seem like that would work nowadays. Now, I mean, Joker would find another way to do it. He'd take over oh, some yeah. sort of airwaves. Yeah. So, the next thing I have in my notes is something arise for Vicky. Don't open it, you fool. <laughs> oh, yes. That, um, what was it? The Flugelheim Museum? <laughs> I, I, whatever the Flugelheim is, it's, I don't, I, I haven't looked it up, I don't know if that's maybe something I should know. <laughs> I, I have a feeling it's a Gotham City original. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, it's a misunderstanding. The the Joker invites Vicky Vale to dinner at the Flugelheim Museum's restaurant. <laughs> and, uh... But it's actually the Joker who did it, and then sends her the uh, the respirator or whatever you call that, the gas mask. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the introduction towards. Probably the best scene in 80s <laughs> cinema. <laughs> you brought it up earlier. I think you should take the lead on it. Okay. So, we're at the museum. And I, I guess... They serve food there? Yes, yeah, it's the Flugelheim Museum's fine dining restaurant. Sure. That it's overlooks fine. the museum. Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. So... So... Vicky's sitting there. I guess she's expecting Bruce to come by. But the, uh, the waiter brings something over for her, and it's a little box with... We're not sure what at the moment. And... Then we get a boombox. 
<laughs> I feel like one of the we've jumped over a couple things, but I okay. love it. I no, love you, it. You go ahead. You go ahead. I, no, I, I, no. I skip a lot of details. <laughs> Your version's great. <laughs> okay. So we get we get someone who hits boo uh, the play on the boom box and it's Prince and it's like I'm not gonna say that this movie has problems with with shifting in tone, <laughs> but we get a goddamn dance number. <laughs> All right. Set to Prince. I'm what gonna. Am I missing? I'm gonna lead Please us up fill to. In the blanks. I'm gonna. I'm gonna fill in this a couple gaps <laughs> because I get, I understand your excitement. And I want to yeah. get to this dance scene as, okay, as well. But, so do just a couple things I'm going to add mm. is that part of the Flugelheim's Museum's aesthetic is that it's just got giant vents everywhere. <laughs> It's just, <laughs> apparently, like, the Joker chose the right spot to release, uh, Smilex gas into the room, because this place is just ready for it. Vents everywhere. Huge industrial vents. <laughs> Oh yeah, that that was the style at the time, you know. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was all industrial corrugated metal and vents everywhere. <laughs> right, I forgot that they actually knocked everybody out. They just knocked everyone because that's why she has the gas mask. Yeah. And I, for some reason, I, I, yeah. For some reason, I thought that was happening while the dance number was happening, but I guess it was before. The dance number is amazing, because you're right. So, <laughs> so, again, another example of these henchmen, they just love their jobs. So once everyone's been knocked out, the Joker's just like comes in and it's like, everybody, let's broaden our minds. <laughs> and he's wearing his creepy flesh-colored makeup because at this point in the movie, you know, we it's kind of apparent that his natural skin tone is white. Mm-hmm. 
So he puts on his skin tone makeup, and they they turn press play on the on the I think the term in the eighties was ghetto blaster. <laughs> if uh, if I if I, if I remember correctly, I was. I was like four at the time. (laughs) And they just start mocking all of the art. Like the, like one of the goons is, is putting a bunch of paint all over this one picture of a ballerina and he's dancing around like a ballerina and the Joker is doing all these like interpretive moves so he like looks like the sculptures that are around them like as you, and they're just they're just destroying all of this art splattering paint all over these paintings and knocking sculptures over and it's just it's it's just it's it's not indescribable but you have to see this to really understand just how incredible and ridiculous this scene is. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about tonal shift, too. It's funny to hear you say that some of the reviewers found this movie too dark because <laughs> then this a scene like this comes around. Yeah. Which is just silly fun. Yeah, exactly. I mean... Joker's just there to have a good time. Yeah. That's all it is. People are all worried about him killing people with this gas, but it's like he's just out to have have some fun. That's all it is. There was one piece of art and I and I would be curious to find out what the, if there's any significance where one of the goons is about to do something to it and the Joker stops them and it's like, no, 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 I like this one. Or I like this one, Bob. I wrote it down because I was like, I wonder if that's, there's some relevance to that piece of art. I don't know. Hmm. Possibly, yeah. 
eventually the best dance number to ever be in a movie ends, though. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we couldn't get the last 70 minutes of this movie being <laughs> dance number <laughs> set to Prince. <laughs> Vicky, obviously. Yeah. And he wants to, like, break down... This is one of the... One of the more unique perspectives that they've given a Joker before. Like, Dark Knight Joker, they have a line, something about, like, um, he's, he kind of, Heath Ledger's Joker describes himself as just being a dog chasing cars but never knowing what he would do if he actually got a car. I think that's like a line from The Dark Knight kind of giving you an idea of the essence of just like what the character's all about. Mm -hmm. And in this scene, and this is not something I remembered, Joker is talking with Vicky Vale, and his sort of justification for wanting, for wanting her is because she's this photographer and and he even mentions the Corda Maltese work that she does because he describes himself and this is a direct quote he says I am the world's first fully functional homicidal artist (laughs) and his whole thing is about like doing this like this kind of disfigurement art because he I don't know have we been introduced to this character in the movie yet or is it during this scene where Grissom's um, widow the guy the woman that he's been sleeping with he's like disfigured her face with acid or something and she has to wear a porcelain mask yeah and he describes her as a first attempt Mm -hmm. 
Like, so he's got this, like, so his, like, the point, uh, like, Joker's reason for doing things is this really, like, fucked up perspective on art. <laughs> it's, it's like the furthest version of outsider art you can get. <laughs> Where it's like you're actually... Yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it's just... It's a little too far outside. What is outsider art like an actual term? Is that an actual thing? I think so. It's, um, my, all of my art references come from The Simpsons. So, <laughs> um, it, yeah, it's, the, I think the idea behind it is it's, it's like, it's art that is so far outside of the sort of normal realms of art that it becomes art itself. Oh. So it's even yeah. beyond that. Yeah, it's it's like um have you ever heard of the painter um Mark Rothko? I don't believe so. Okay. Um, he basically... His, his style, at least the stuff that I've seen, is basically just him painting these giant canvases black. Oh. And that's... That's like his entire, or at least the stuff that I've seen of him. Like that's that's what he does. So I don't necessarily know if that's called outsider, or if that would be considered outsider art, but it's stuff like. It's stuff that is so far outside of what most people would consider art that it becomes art in a weird sort of way. How much money does that big canvas black painting guy get? Too goddamn much. I bet. I just Probably. bet. Yeah. Oh man, but yeah, I th I think that's the whole idea behind the outsider art. It might just be bullshit that The Simpsons made up because they did that a lot. <laughs> well, either which way. 
the Joker is definitely going into some like crazy ideas of art. Yes. And he's living by them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, he was, I mean, he was the first of these experiments, right? I mean, he, he wasn't the one who caused it, but he was sort of the prototype, I guess. Yeah, I think that's kind of the the explanation for why he's obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. They don't get too much into his psychology. They just sort of like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like, he's crazy! Yeah. Turns out this mobster guy's into this really trippy, fucked up art. (laughs) (laughs) And and then Batman shows up. Yes, he, he comes in through the glass ceiling like he has to do of course Uh, he also does it in Batman Forever yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and probably the other ones And, uh, this is, I think, uh, one of the first times, like, they they try to give a little bit of realism to the gadgets, because he shoots his little, uh, zipline machine, and then has to double-check with Vicky Vale how much she weighs. <laughs> Because the guess is that he's only made this strong enough kind of for himself. Mm. Um, Which is, uh, it's kind of a neat little detail. Mm -hmm. Didn't have to do that. No. But they still, they at least get away. And, um, then we hit the Batmobile. Yes. That's all I have in my notes is, oh shit, the Batmobile. Is this the first time we've seen it? I believe so. It's a good Batmobile. Yeah. I mean, the... The only other times we've seen... We've only seen Batman two other times in this movie. is at the beginning and then 
at the chemical factory. And we never know how he got there. Yeah, he has been used pretty sparingly. Yeah. So, now it's like, oh shit, this is fucking rad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a I don't recall why he brought Vicky Vale to the Batmo to the Batcave. Was it supposed to he had to give her information, correct? Wasn't it wasn't that there wasn't anything in particular that was poisoned, it was that uh, it was a combination of things, like if your deodorant and your hair gel were used, that would make you crazy yeah. and smile. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so he, he at some point had used his detective skills to figure out that it was a combination of items that had that had some of the ingredients from the chemical factory that would I guess it was from that that would cause the, uh, the, the smiling disease if they were combined, like you said, so yeah, I think they, I think there was a press conference or news story about how they actually were flying in like deodorant and and others the other necessities yeah they pretty much that's the scene they cut to after it's revealed that like Vicky it's pretty the scene's funny it ends because like Vicky's like why did you bring me here and Batman doesn't really explain it it's just the next scene is like waking up in bed and he's taken all the information she had <laughs> like on on some thumb drive or something I don't know if they had thumb drives then I, I think it was just a stack of papers yeah yeah. Um, but yeah, the next um, scene is exactly what you're just describing, where the newscasters just look horrendous because they haven't been <laughs> using any hygiene products. Yeah. Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. I wrote something down. I don't remember any much about it, but, um... I wrote down, I'm not quite sure what this has, um, what led to, there's, 
Is there a... Is there a guy with a sword? Guy with a sword? Um, Am I... Right? There was a guy with like a couple swords? Probably. Maybe that was during the museum fight scene, perhaps? Maybe, yeah. Well... I don't know, I wrote this down after the they got in the Batmobile. I don't know why. There was something to do with some guy with like a couple like you know the 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 trope that had that they had in the eighties of this this crazy sword master who like swings his swords all around the place and then he gets knocked out with one punch oh the indiana jones thing yeah that happens at the end of the movie in the bell tower oh yeah wait why is that down here i don't know that's weird. That definitely happens in the bell tower, though. I don't know. And it happens in a slightly weird. unique way, in fact. Huh. Yeah. Well, sorry for the spoilers for what's going to happen in, like, 20 minutes. But <laughs> why is that here? I don't know why that... Oh, whatever. Not 20 minutes, Sam. Remember, everything... Right. (laughs) Right, I'm sorry. Six hours. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Right. Yeah. So... Yeah, so they cut to that new scene, and they're just like, they just look hideous, but they have an explanation (laughs) for, like, all the things, uh, like the combinations of deodorants with baby powder and hairspray with shampoo, like, all the things not to be doing in the meantime until all the uh the aid from outside of the city comes in mm-hmm. and the joker's watching this and he literally shoots the messenger because he shoots his tv <laughs> yeah well it doesn't shoot it he does a wonderful Joker thing and uses a uh, red boxing glove at the end of an extendable arm (laughs) to crush it. That's basically the same thing shooting the messenger, though, right? Yeah, it's the Joker way of doing it. Yeah, exactly. It's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. And let's see. 
Okay, so I think the next scene is when Bruce visits Vicky at her apartment, which I wrote this down. Bruce says, nice apartment, as they're walking through it, and it's like a goddamn palace is where she's living in. It's a huge apartment. She's yeah. living in like a 2,000 square foot yeah. apartment. That is not an apartment. That is a goddamn palace. Hmm? Where he, she is living. He even comments on how spacious it is. Yeah. yeah. But she worked for Vogue so she can afford it. Oh, yeah. It's crazy that she has it since she's just temporarily in Gotham, but... Yeah, I... mm, I don't know. There's also a part in this, and I don't know if this stuck out to you or not, but there's a part where she's kind of talking a mile a minute and Bruce Wayne just pushes her into a chair. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And tells her to shut up. He's got some stuff to say. (laughs) (laughs) And then starts trying to explain how people have different sides to themselves that they don't always show one another. (laughs) (laughs) This was just after he got physical with her and told her to be silent. (laughs) That he's not, not so eloquently explaining how people have dark sides. Not awkward at all. <laughs> and she's being really encouraging about him getting the chance to express his words <laughs> before the Joker knocks on the door. Yeah. Because he just. He just can't quite get it out about his information and the doorbell's ringing. Uh, that's a scene where I'm just like, Vicky Vale, Vicky, there are warning signs. Get away from this man. I don't care if he's rich. You run! (laughs) If it was a different movie. Yeah, of course. But, you know, in this movie, I guess it's the lesser of two evils. Because it's either you go with the guy who's um, 
probably gonna be verbal and physically abusive to you or the guy who's gonna throw acid on your face. I mean, we don't know if you would've thrown acid on Vicky Bell's face. Yeah, I mean... That's why I said probably. Yeah. We don't know if you would. Yeah. But, so... So, so this... So he... So they, they... He busts down the door. No, they open the door, right? Or he busted down. I forget which it's one. Like, I think it's a little column A, a little column B. Yeah. And that's where that music comes in again. The the lovey-dovey music. Oh. As he's walking in and professing his love to Vicky. Okay. Um, and, you know, as, as, as he's giving his monologue, and I think Bruce sort of disappears into the kitchen and I guess he he takes like a like a like a cookie sheet or something. It's like a serving platter, I think. Yeah. And I, I can't remember. Did we actually see him like putting it in his vest or it's, no? Uh, it's pretty much like it's explicit what he's gonna do if they don't just show it. Yeah. 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 And because uh, this is one of my favorite parts in the movie is. This music is playing, and it's the this romantic music is swelling in the background as the Joker's trying to to talk to Vicky about you know being becoming his his you know the love or whatever, and then Bruce steps out of the kitchen. And the Joker sees him, and he reaches over, and he turns off the boombox, and the Velvey music stops. <laughs> I fucking love that. It's <laughs> a nice little detail. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's supposed to be in the actual. I. You know, I was just figuring that's like all background music, it's background music. No, that was actually the Joker playing the music to profess his love to Vicky Vale. Because the same boombox guy too. It's the it's the kind of the bigger bald guy with glasses. It's the same yeah. one. He's just boombox guy. That's his job. Yeah. 
And he loves his job. <laughs> I mean, I would. <laughs> I'd do that job. Uh, but and yes, so they he, he puts the thing in and then kind of then makes his appearance. And we get the line. This is where we get the line, too. The Joker line. Yeah, so we, uh... He... He asks Bruce, Do you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I don't remember... What I I mean I know what the significance of it is later, but I'm not quite sure. The well the 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 thing is you know Bruce has a moment where his he looks kind of taken aback and it's I think finally starting to hit him, but then kind of the the famous follow up to the line is that Joker. He he asks that question of all his prey, and he doesn't have a he doesn't have a reason for it. He he thinks he says something like it's just something I do before I kill people, and then he shoots Bruce in the chest. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Bruce is dead, and uh, Vicky gets kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And the movie ends on a really dark note. Yeah, you know, we were, you know, it's, I thought maybe, I don't know what happened with Batman Returns. I thought it was supposed to be Michael Keaton, but I guess... It was just, it was like an alternate reality thing. It was a multiverse thing before Disney Marvel really got into the multiverse thing. Okay. Yeah, Sean, uh, I keep wanting to say Sean, but uh, Sam Hamm was definitely ahead of his, ahead of his time. Yeah, you know. Hmm. So, um, yeah. so, um, you guys, uh, yeah, you donate some money to Matinee <laughs> Manatee Habitats, is that right? <laughs> yeah, patreon.com slash Matinee Manatees were. Um, after hosting costs, I have all proceeds. Okay, we should. <laughs> no, we should just keep going. <laughs> See, he's, he's not dead. He, he, he shot the, the serving tray and he took the serving tray out and goes to go after the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do they...
But they don't... Like, Vicky Vale isn't kidnapped. Like, he kills or he shoots Bruce Wayne and then leaves. Mm-hmm. And just leaves Vicky there. Mm-hmm. And then she turns around and sees that Bruce has disappeared and there's a, a bullet in uh, a tray left behind. Right, yes. Um, yeah. And then I guess So the Joker has decided that the bicentennial is going to happen at this point. But it's under his rules. Yeah! Is that is that the next thing that happens? I, I think so, because... Um, my next my next note after this is oh shit more prints and another dance number for the bicentennial <laughs> yeah cause he takes over the airwaves again and after the last time he took over the airwaves where he told everyone that he was poisoning them and murdering them. <laughs> this one comes up and you also get to see a bunch of like random shots of people throughout Gotham like some at a bar some at a laundromat or something and they're watching him say that like I'm still going to have the 200th anniversary, and at some point that night I'm going to drop millions of dollars. <laughs> and everyone's all psyched about it, and for some reason yeah. they trust him and go out to the streets. <laughs> Well, it's because he says that the real bad guy is this Batman. Yeah. Yeah, he's the one who's causing all the real trouble in Gotham. That's I'm just, the one. I'm just, you know, you trust me, I'm giving away free money, because that doesn't... You know, that never blows up in people's faces yeah. when they think that free money is good to actually happen. Yeah, especially when a psychopath oh. who's trying to murder you just a few days ago. <laughs> yeah. Which, okay, that, that reminds me. Um way earlier in the movie because I, I had to write this I wrote this down because I remembered it 
Because when he said he was going to drop millions of dollars into the crowd that night for the bicentennial. Yeah. Way earlier in the movie, he... Like, someone asked asked Jack Napier something about what he wants in life. Mm-hmm. And he says to have my face on the $1 bill. And I don't know if they did this or not, but I was wondering if they actually did that. Like if he, the money he dropped in the crowd has his, his face on the dollar bill. Oh, you are correct. I think that does happen. Well, no, okay, so I, I'm, I'm opening the comic. I don't remember it happening in the movie. I can't recall. But there are two panels in the comic of uh, somebody in the streets looking at the bill, and it is exactly what you're describing. Nice. I yeah, I don't think they actually. I don't think they ever. I don't know if they showed us a, a, a close-up of the money in the movie, but I I like that touch that that I would not have. I probably wouldn't have picked up on if it wasn't such a sort of that that line that he said earlier of I want my face on the one dollar bill. Yeah. That's a, that's a weird thing for like a goal in life. <laughs> and it's like, oh he, he he did it apparently. He did it. That's a that it's so, a joker thing to do? Yeah. So So we get another dance number. Well we don't get it yet oh, because yet, we get yet. a follow-up because Vicky just okay. had this Bruce moment. And then Bruce disappeared, and she's hanging out with Knox, because she had given Knox that, um, that, those cross streets earlier. Mm. And Knox, what's that called? Knox must have went through, like, microfiche. Yeah, yeah. And, like, found the news articles related to it um and Vicky's like oh that's why when I was stalking him that's (laughs) (laughs) he he went to this place and where I was taking photos of of him and a jealous (laughs) rage was where his parents were murdered Interesting. 
<laughs> I can't remember if she had more emotion than that. Yeah. I feel like she didn't. <laughs> uh, and then you get a little cut to Bruce, and he's he's like looking at pictures or something, and you get a genuine flashback to that night and you get the reveal yeah of a slightly younger looking uh Jack Napier who still actually looks decently like Jack Nicholson you know, after he's killed Thomas and Martha Wayne, they they got a good likeness for him. Yeah, it was yeah. I was I was really impressed with that. And you know, he, Bruce is sort of cowering there and we get that same line you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight yeah which means he's about to kill the kid until the other gangster comes over and tells Jack they gotta go yeah mm-hmm. and I think he said I didn't he say see around kid at some point? I feel like he did. That sounds correct, yeah. Yeah. Which is weirdly prescient. Like, there's no way he would have actually expected that to happen. <laughs> How you doing? Uh, I don't need a paragraph. It's just kind of a way of saying hello. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um. But so yeah. So he's like. So you cut. You cut to that, and he's having a flashback, and. Then all of a sudden, fucking Alfred, you so in the same scene, we find out, so Bruce is having this kind of horrible reminiscence and realization about, about Jack Napier and, and the murder of his parents while in the Batcave not in costume and Alfred just brings Vicky Vale into the Batcave 
because the <laughs> assumption is, I suppose, that when she found out that she'd put, I guess, some context clues together after finding out about the murder, I guess must have just either guessed correctly or Alfred was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm bringing her into the cave. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm tired of this shit. You are, you haven't given me my, my, my grand, grandpa butler big grandbaby yet. I'm sick of waiting. Let's just drop the pretense. And also, Vicky Vale, who's uh, not known Bruce Wayne for very long, is full <laughs> on like, I've loved you. Every night. <laughs> Every night since last week when we met for the first time. It's like, come on, Vicky, come on. <laughs> I, 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 I get that movie time is weird, but... There's no way this movie could have taken place in more than, like, two weeks. <laughs> Vicky is all in. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, and Batman is understandably a little bit not about it. <laughs> He's like, Alfred, chill out. Vicky, I literally just met you. I know we hooked up on the first date, but come on, get your shit together. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually giving Bruce Wayne a little bit too much credit. He's still the weirdo that he has been this whole movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not really understanding anything going on this whole time. <laughs> but, uh... But yeah, then he, then what, then he suits up, is that... He must, cause... We've gotta be getting to the bicentennial now. With, with the, with the prince. And the dancing. Oh! And did we miss something else? Yes! 
the part where he starts murdering tons of people. Well, I mean, there's that, but I think the more important thing is the prince and the dance number. He drives... He drives the Batmobile into a warehouse of the goons. The goons who love their job. And he puts on the armor plating and drops bombs. And then they cut to an exterior shot. And the warehouse just starts exploding as the Batmobile's driving out. And, and so we know for a fact that he just blew up at the very least eight dudes if not an entire warehouse of dudes I mean yeah so I guess those morals that well they weren't really established in this movie right they he never really said anything about the he, he doesn't kill, right? It's the only thing that makes it okay in this Batman movie, because other ones they they try to pretend he's he's he doesn't want to murder. He explicitly mm-hmm. says it. The only. Th- Thing we've seen so far in this movie is he didn't kill the thief because he wanted the rumors to spread. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly why he tried to reach out to catch Jack Napier. The assumption is is that he wanted to keep him alive because evidence for Harvey Dent. So, those are perfectly valid reasons to save these guys' lives. Whereas this time, there's just a bunch of goons with guns and Batman's just like, you know what? You're dead! Yeah? Which, I mean... When you think about it, at least from what I've seen of of the Batman films, it it sort of actually leads nicely into the 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 Val Kilmer version where it's like he said that he's he said that he's killed before and it's like when he tells Robin 
you don't want to go down this path. Yeah. Um, it, um, that's, um... That's very generous of you, Sam. I don't know if that was on purpose. <laughs> I, I doubt it. But... I mean... I'm, I'm trying to connect the dots... But there's also an entire movie in between these dots. There's not really so, any big connectors. But <laughs> but there's there's Alfred. There is there's <laughs> Alfred and the mayor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I'm. I my my brain just wants to connect the dots, even if there are there's no possible way that if they're they're in they're on different planets. I gotcha. So I mean, I'm. I get you. In the Batman Forever movie uh, podcast, I did break down the arc of the, of the three movies leading into each other. <laughs> so I'm obviously <laughs> on board with this. <laughs> Prince gets involved. Yeah. And so we we get another dance number filled with like the full on parade, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's there's some yeah, it's and I think, is this, this is, I can't remember if this is where he drops the money into the crowd, right? Yeah, so this is the part where Joker put down for the 200th anniversary parade, and there is no police presence here to stop him even though he's announced on 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 all television <laughs> that all he'll that he'll be doing this and so he's <laughs> a criminal who tried to kill everybody has announced his next plan publicly, has all these huge balloons and floats that are super easy to see coming from all over the place, has said he's going to be dropping cash all over the city, which could obviously incite riots. 
police presence nowhere to be seen. <laughs> well, I mean, when you think about it, when he when he throws the money into the crowd, they're surprisingly like ruly. Like they don't trample over each other to get to the money. They're not like fighting each other. It's just like they're just sort of like yeah. Come on, where's the cash? Yeah. But they're just, yeah. even when they get the cash, they're just like, Yay, we got money. Like, I, I wrote down, actually I wrote down, like, the, it's, they don't even sound like they're excited when this money comes in. It's like the... It's like the the sound effect in in Monty Python the Holy Grail when it says and there was much rejoicing and they're just like <laughs> yeah. That's all it was. It didn't seem like there weren't there wasn't like screaming and people weren't going ape shit. It was just like well, I mean, could you even tell, like, really the, the the most prominent audio here was some really turned up prints, so that was kind <laughs> of, like, at the forefront. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. Um... I guess, I mean, I guess so what? The Joker's plan was probably the intention of telling people all the money was there was to get a bunch of probably like innocent shields for himself, right? I would think so, yeah. 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 That's kind of his diabolical plan. Yeah, cause he, cause he actually, he actually invited Batman to, to like fight him at midnight. Oh yeah, mano a mano. Yeah, that For, was mano e mano. Mano e mano. Cause Jack Nicholson doesn't understand how. <laughs> How Spanish works. <laughs> Jack Nicholson specifically, not the Joker. Yes. Okay. <laughs> or was it Sam Ham's fault? Ooh. Mm. Um, I don't know. I'd like to think it was, um, shit, who, who created Batman? Oh. Oh his my fault. god. His fault. 
Bob Kane. Yeah, it's his fault. It's his fault. Okay. Take that, Bob yeah. Kane. Ah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Joker's got what his like little tiny parade. There's three balloons. It's the creepy, long-nosed clown, the trippy one-tooth baby, and then like a cat thing, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm go I'm going entirely off of your description because this is at night and I can't tell what's going on. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yes, that's pretty much the float situation, and they're mm-hmm. just throwing Joker cash all over the place. Um, and this is the first time, so, you know, we haven't really seen Batman yet, we're getting, like, the vibe of the parade coming through, and, uh, Vicky Vale and Knox have driven out to the scene, and Knox gets a little bit of an action scene. Like, as all of the, uh, giant balloons in the sky start releasing Smilex gas, mm-hmm. uh, Knox tells Vicky to stay in the car, and he puts a little, like, uh, like, surgical mask over his face, and gets a bat from his trunk and starts, like, beating on goons to let (laughs) go of the balloons so they start flying into the sky and stop poisoning people. Yeah, I mean, we haven't really seen a lot of him in the last 45 minutes. Yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of Knox, the character, but I mean, I, I, I appreciate the fact that they gave him, they gave him something near the end of the film. They let him beat the shit out of some people with a baseball bat. Heard some... Some just goons just trying to have a good day. Yeah, I know. It's, I mean, it's, it's a dick move. Because, you know, he's beating up goons and they don't need to be beaten up. But at least he got some aggression out, you know, from not being able to... To, uh, to... To seal the deal, Vicky. Huh. So Knox. Uh, uh, so yeah, so Knox kind of 
gets the ball rolling as far as good guys fighting back and then we see Batman flying up in his sweet stealth bat plane and he does the I didn't make this up on my head right. He actually does the thing where he's in the bat plane and he flies it up and then hovers in front of the moon to make it look yeah. like okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you did. So kind of you get the the nod to the bat signal and then dives in and activates his his really specific uh, <laughs> plane gadget where in the front of the plane which is also shaped like the top of the Batman silhouette big scissors open up <laughs> I mean, did you see how many buttons were in that plane? The, and he had to press so many in such a specific order to get that. To get how the, much other shit does he have in there? The front scissors. <laughs> Because there's also the top scissors, mm -hmm. the sides, the left scissors, the right scissors, the back scissors, and the bottom scissors. It's the primary offense of the bad play. <laughs> Giant scissors. <laughs> It's, it's unexpected. <laughs> it's the Swiss Army knife of 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 Batman gadgets, which is saying something. It's just scissors and then those giant Gatling guns that come out of his <laughs> plane later. <laughs> Which, after he cuts all the balloons loose and has them fly off into the sky so that gas is no longer affecting Gothamites, he comes back down and we have a scene that Dark Knight later echoed where it's the Joker standing in the middle of the street. In Dark Knight, of course, Batman's drive, driving up on his little, like, dune buggy thing, shooting at the Joker. In this one, Batman's flying at him in his stealth bat plane, shooting giant Gatling guns at him, while he also has these this like super high-tech aiming computer that's helping him aim at the Joker <laughs> in both movies Batman misses 
And where they go, technology. And then in this one, Joker pulls out the revolver that's like, what? <laughs> Got a barrel that's like two feet, two feet, four feet, twelve feet long. <laughs> it's, it's, it's bigger than the plane, I'm fairly certain. And does like a perfect shot right at the plane, which just fucks the plane up. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I did. I guess Batman never really had a chance to test the bat plane in, like, combat because one bullet takes it down. It's a bullet from a really comically big revolver, though. Yeah, well, I mean, but most of it's from, like, well, I don't know, was it, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> um, all, the only thing I take away from this is I remember that gun from the the Batman game on the NES. Oh, because the Joker is the final boss of that game, and he has that same gun. And keep shooting at you. Yes. Well, I and will. So no, go ahead. Your go ahead. Your only weapons are your fists. This was the. Was this the one where um, they had wall jumping? That yes. was like the one of the first games that ever did the ability for wall to wall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, later, a staple of the Mario franchise. Yeah, and lots of other franchises. And tons of other ones, but you know, I. Yeah, but but yeah, definitely the Mario franchise and Yeah, but that was I think that was one of the first games that had wall jumping. Was it the first? I don't think so. I think there were maybe cuz there was um there's a game called Strider. Oh, I on Sega? Was, uh, no, I think it was in it was in arcades and oh, okay. maybe it might have been on this on Sega, but it was also on the NES, and that also had um, wall jumping. But I don't know if that was before or after Batman. I don't either. Yes. 
that was actually as far as video game adaptations of motion pictures that was a pretty good SNES game oh was yeah that, was that SNES or was that NES it, it was NES okay I remember that being pretty good. Yeah, it, it was. It was. It was also an NES game, so it was impossible. Yes. But, um. Yeah, it was. It had. It had the the the, the wall jumping and um. The music was amazing because it was it was made by this company that had this like they had a um, uh, like a specific kind of sound chip on their NES games, so they had this these really epic bass lines with all of their music. Oh. Was that uncommon at that time? Yeah, they were the only company that, that had that kind of stuff. Like, everything else is just sort of like... basically like... But this one was like... So it was, it was, yeah. Sam, what? Sam, will you do those examples again? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So like the the basic the basic NES sound chip. Yeah. The baseline was like. <laughs> but then you get the 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 Sunsoft sound chip. That was the company that made this. Oh, Sunsoft. Okay. Yeah, and there they had this this some special thing they did with their sound chip. That made the bass all like dirty and like Yeah. 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 Alright, it sounds like we have to do a, uh, Batman game night. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. We can play, we can play another Sunsoft game. It's called Journey to Silius. Mm-hmm. Which, um, has a tie-in to movies. Because it was originally supposed to be 
a license game for the Terminator movie. Oh. But they lost the license to it, so they decided to make it into its own game. But the, like, the intro song to that game actually has the same, that sort of, you know, the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun from the Terminator? Yes, I know they exactly basically that. Ha- they have that basically as the intro music. For like I guess a that's bit. still pretty easy to do with what they were able to like put to music back then. Yeah, but I'm I'm just saying it was it was more than a coincidence that it sounded like that. Got it. But anyway, um. So the Joker's huge gun. Right, yes. Um, he, he blows up the, the bat plane with a bullet. I have a clarification from the comic, and this is something that book and comic adaptations will do sometimes, where if it, it's something that was possibly edited out of the movie, So, right after it goes, BWAM, B-W-A-M-M, exclamation point, for the shot, and CHABOM, T-C-H-O-M-B, for the explosion, uh, Batman says, EXPLOSIVE SHELL! I'M HIT! So apparently it was an explosive shell. Okay. And then when the bat... bat plane slams into the cathedral, it says, KUMWOOF! K-W-M-O-O-F I mean, if there's, if there's one thing that I have to give to <laughs> these writers, it's that they know how to, they know how to, how to, to pay homage to the origins of Batman. <laughs> Well, of the the screen versions of Batman. Well, and even... ridiculous sound effects. The Adam West stuff, I think that's all just doing a, a TV adaptation of what they're already doing in the comics with, with the sounds, right? Oh... Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, I, I I can appreciate the homage to 
the old school Batman stuff. <laughs> Sound effects. Cool. Oh, this is a hard one to say, I think. K-W-M-O-O-F. Co- Actually, this is pretty cool. It's just because, you know, Batman's gothic roots, it's pretty rad that they, like, went out of their way to, like, set the final battle in this big church. Like, mm-hmm. just, you know, it's a nice little nod. Um... And so Batman's chasing him up, kind of, he's all injured, he just was in a huge accident, he's (laughs) fucked up, 
which is great because you know you kind of kind of weaken this physical force because the Joker's not a great fighter. Mm-hmm. And Batman's chasing him up, uh, up all these wooden steps up the up the cathedral, and uh, Joker just throws acid all over this giant, huge bell, which drops down and crashes into the bottom. That was pretty crazy. It was pretty rad. Mm -hmm. Um, And ultimately, you know, this, this scene isn't too complex. It's... Batman comes up and uh, has a showdown with two very specific goons. One of them is what you were talking about earlier. Uh, The stereotypical Asian goon who's who's like swinging a bunch of swords and super over the top and he leaps at Batman and it's not he actually uses a little gadget (laughs) as the as the goons leaping at him it's just this thing like you do you remember um when rollerblading was super hot and they had the the wrist guards uh for the purposes of this yes okay. i do remember that excellent if you don't google it and so it's basically one of those wrist cards, but it popped forward and just like hit the guy in the junk, basically. <laughs> um, and during this whole fight scene, though, so Batman's fighting a few goons, um, the Joker is just dancing around with Vicky Vale. Who's just like limp in his arms and just it's it's actually kind of hard to watch. Um, and ends in a kind of like pretty. Simple fight. Vickyville tries to distract the Joker by kind of starting to act like she's turned on by him and kissing his suit. And then Batman just beats the shit out of the Joker for a while. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he does just kind of beats the shit out of him with a, with a little gag. The Joker's like, you wouldn't hit a man with glasses, would you? <laughs> Batman, like, just punches him in the face over the edge of the building. <laughs> Just like, I would, and I would also murder you, is basically what the punch says. <laughs> and then you end up in this kind of convoluted gag where the Joker goes over, and then Vicky Vale and Batman look over the edge to see what happens and then the Joker grabs them pulls them over the edge <laughs> and then they catch on to a slightly lower ledge <laughs> as the Joker's trying to knock them off and then when the Joker's trying to escape by grabbing this ladder descending that is that was thrown down from a helicopter, Batman uses a grapple hook to attaches the Joker's foot to a gargoyle. <laughs> So that as the helicopter is pulling away, Joker's arms... No, no, Sam. Joker's <laughs> arms are not dislocated. <laughs> the whole gargoyle is pulled off the ledge and is dangling from the Joker's feet, which of course he can only sustain for so long, and then he plummets to his death <laughs> with a gargoyle weighing him down to the city floor. <laughs> As Vicky Vale and Batman climb back to safety. <laughs> and there's this fantastic final moment for the Joker where you go down to the city streets where the commissioner, Commissioner Gordon and some other random beat cop find the Joker and there's just that, that, uh, that echoing laugh and it's just this laugh that's on repeat uh, and it's from within the Joker's coat there's a laughing box he really should be just like 
pancake guts and blood splatter, but but he's you know he's fully intact, so his clothes are all there, so they can pull out and have a have the laughing box reveal, and it's it's pretty uh it's it's kind of a dark scene. Yeah, but it's it's an appropriate way to uh to say you know good night to the Joker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not coming back from that. Mm-hmm. I mean in, until the reboot, but yeah, well, that Joker, the, uh, <laughs> this particular one, what, what did we say, the, uh, fully functional homicidal artist version of the Joker, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then uh, we get a little press conference at the end. Uh, yeah. The the commissioner has come around to Batman. He even accepted the bat signal as a gift. Mm-hmm. And Knox is like. What's going on? Are we still going to write this Pulitzer Prize story that you came here specifically to write about with me? And without giving him any explanation, she's just like, No, I'm dating Bruce Wayne now. And Alfred picks her up, and then uh, we get this pull-out shot where Alfred explains to her that uh, Bruce Wayne's going to be a little late, and we find out the reason Bruce Wayne's going to be a little late is that he's standing dramatically (laughs) at the top of a building looking at the bat signal in the sky. (laughs) And, uh, that closes out 1989's Batman by Sam Ham, not you know Tim Burton second chair. <laughs> All right, I have to say one thing. Yeah. Um, something happened with my notes because. Something, something has got screwed out of place, and I'm not quite sure what happened. 
because my very last note that I have on this in these are what is it with the Joker and lungs? Because he mentions twice during this movie that he's going to pull someone's lungs out of his body. Well, I mean, he is trying to kill and poison people through inhalation of... Yeah, but... So he's really into lung death. But if you pull the... Okay, I was going to say, but if you pull someone's lungs out of their body, then they can't inhale the poison to die. I think he just generally wants the lungs involved with how the people die. Okay, that's fair. It's like part of it's like so later, you know, if Joker got his wish and he became this like well-known artist, people would refer to this as his lung era. Mm. Yeah, the lung period. Yeah, it was his lung period. He was mm. super into lung murder. <laughs> that's that's gonna be the name of my death metal band. <laughs> lung hey, murder. We're lung murder. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to one of those shows. Sweet. (laughs) I'll have one audience member. (laughs) Is there gonna be free food? Sure. Alright, then I will actually show up. Oh, God. (laughs) God. There was no guarantee. <laughs> I'm desperate for fans with this fake band, but I haven't actually done anything like yet. There's been a like terrible name. Nine different bands that were supposedly <laughs> been bringing up during the course of this particular episode. Yeah. That that happens uh, sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so um I mean what else is there to say? How did you I guess closing thoughts like so this was the second Batman movie that you've seen? So, actually, this is the fourth Batman movie I've seen. Oh, I apologize. Because I have seen Batman Begins, and I have seen The Dark Knight. Okay. Okay. But, 
but yeah. So, okay. As I mentioned earlier, objectively, this is a better film than Batman Forever on pretty much every possible level. Yes. Um, but because nostalgia is a powerful thing, mm-hmm. um, and I think there might be something wrong with my brain, I have this weird nostalgia for Batman Forever on the sole grounds that I saw it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I don't say... I'm not saying it's a good movie because it isn't. <laughs> what I'm saying is I have... Okay. Let me, let me back up. The problem for me with a lot of these classic movies is that I didn't see them when I should have, so I don't have nostalgia for them. Like, I didn't see The Goonies until I was, like, 28. Okay. So, like, all of the impact for that movie was lost on me. So I just thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure basically anyone who grew up watching The Goonies is like, What's wrong with you, you sociopath? <laughs> Probably not, but I also didn't see your favorite movie until, you know, 20 years after I should have. So, I I feel like this is the same thing. Like, I know I would have enjoyed this movie a lot more if I had seen it earlier on as it stands I thought it was a good movie um but for me the thing was the sort of tone shifts that this movie took kind of took me out of the moment a few times Like, when they're just sort of switching back and forth between goofy Joker antics and super serious Batman, and then goofy Bruce Wayne and Vicky Vale date night, and then Joker murdering hundreds of people. It's like... I'm I'm not saying you have to pick a tone, because plenty of movies can do that. It was just like, it was very, 
was very jarring. I mean, what else spells out how jarring this movie is besides the two prominent musical (laughs) artists? Danny Elfman, opposite Prince. I mean, that essentially illustrates the point that you're making. Exactly. Like, you you go from... You go from... uh, From the Joker murdering dozens of people in a museum to a Prince dance break in the span of 30 seconds. And that's just kind of what this movie is like. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It was just very jarring having seen it. This is my first time watching this movie. So it was just very jarring and unexpected. And I don't know if that's what audiences felt like back when this movie was new. Maybe it was. It was still a good movie. It was enjoyable. I mean... I wasn't really expecting much out of Jack Nicholson, but he honestly, even though it's a Batman movie, he kind of deserved top billing. Mm-hmm. Because he, he, was, he was this movie. If we're being real. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yes. The Joker is the standout of pretty much any movie he's in if they've cast him right and done him right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I express that because... Jared Leto did not stand out in his version. Hmm. I haven't seen that one, and I'm I'm guessing a lot of the more recent. Uh, I don't know if if my, how how many DC Comics movies out there were actually decent. I heard Wonder Woman was good. That was surprising and that was that really I think Gal Gadot really brought that character to life. Um, I think that, that was really surprising. Um, so yeah, I guess, uh, people would, would say that the first Superman movie is good, um, it's just 
from a different era. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone, of course, raves about Dark Knight. A lot yeah. of people like Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Aquaman did well. I haven't seen it. But I mean, I expect Walking Phoenix just based on the kind of different direction which you always have to do with Joker. Yeah. You gotta kind of play a different angle with him whenever you're redoing him. Mm-hmm. Whereas Batman, you you tend to want to stay relatively consistent with him. Yeah. But I guess all of that is to say I think this was a good movie, but I think I watched it too late in life for the first time to really sort of to get to sort of experience the full impact of it. So, mm-hmm. it wasn't like earth changing to me, but it was an enjoyable movie. I get what you're saying about the, uh, returns thing, too. I, my example, which is similar, I think, is when I was younger, I look back and think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze (laughs) as the standout, but... Going back and watching the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that's actually a pretty well done, kind of gritty, more based on the on the original comic uh, movie. So it are, I think unarguably is better. But I remember Secret of the Use. Yeah, I mean, the first one I think is objectively better because the second one has vanilla ice. Yes. <laughs> that that kind of ruins most everything. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we finally got to do this, Sam. I know, yeah. right? It's, uh, I'm I'm sorry it took a year, but I think it was I think it was worth it that we waited. Because we managed to record this around the 30th anniversary of this movie. So, Mm -hmm. you know. It's all connected. Oh, yeah. 
and um, and all of the other all of the other movies in the this first four Batman movies were all released in June. So, do we have? Uh, is there kind of a unofficial June? episode now that we're gonna uh, maybe we do this annually see I was gonna think that was the case but apparently before um, before Ben left for the bayous of Europe he posted another episode in June Hold on, let me bring up which episode it is. Um, uh, oh, Fifth Element. Oh, I did that one. Yeah, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you double-crossed me. <laughs> I didn't mean to. In this case, I sabotaged myself as well. <laughs> so, I, I was I was hoping that an episode hadn't been posted yet this month. Well, by the time we're recording this, I don't know when this is actually going to get posted. But... I was hoping we'd be able to get this episode, you know, out the door right around time for the 30th anniversary, but I guess we're gonna have to wait. Well, you know, there's gonna be so many people talking about Batman, and they were doing it from a dishonest place. They started doing it because of the 30th anniversary, whereas we, we're just, we're just children of destiny. It just happened to us. We're we're, yeah. a, we're authentically experiencing this thing that we've been talking about for a year. Exactly. And I think it was worth the wait. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So um. Is this the part where we actually do the closing stuff? Uh, I, I guess so. Unless, do you have, do you have anything else? Did, did you want to describe your, your thoughts of the movie? Because I, I think you, obviously you were talking about it a bit through... But, like, your final thoughts? Um, my final thoughts, I think I expressed it earlier towards the beginning. Um, 
I discovered during this viewing that I got much more enjoyment out of it than I even expected I would. Because there was a period, honestly, even though I do like this movie and I remember it as a kid, this was, this was a movie that um, my cousin Mason, who was a little older than me, would always fall asleep to. And so when I would stay over, it was just always kind of on when we would go to bed. So like, it's just, I, I think of it when I, being a part of being a little boy. Um, and so there was a long time in my adulthood where I just couldn't really watch it because I just knew it too well. And enough time has passed that this time there's an element of watching it that was kind of like watching it for the first time. So, I really enjoyed it. Um, I would still recommend it to people with the caveat that it is definitely uh, a piece of It was a piece of its time. Does that make sense? I, I'm trying to think of a better way to phrase that. It was sort of like a... Hmm. Like an unintentional period piece. Yes, like it's... It was a movie from the 80s. And so as long as you understand what kind of, what kind of, uh, what kind of style and what kind of, um, baggage and pros and cons, all the things that come with that, as long as you understand that, uh, I think it's a movie that holds up. Especially as oh, a yeah. Batman story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... There are serious moments, but there is some real goofy shit in this movie, yeah. too. And that's because it's an 80s movie. It really is a hybrid, to some degree, of... The, the the media representation of Batman, which up until this point had been Adam West, like that was the, the screen version that people knew of Batman. It was, so it was taking that and then kind of fusing it with what 
Batman had become in the 80s, which was very much exemplified by how Frank Miller had kind of darkened the character back to the way Batman was in the early days. So this movie really is kind of that that weird bipolar nature you've described is kind <laughs> of exactly what it is because it was taking these two tones of Batman and then it, and then putting them in the same package. <laughs> Because there, there just aren't that many movies that are going to combine wanton murder and destruction with dance numbers featuring the music of Prince. Yeah. And in a really strange way, it works. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it works better now than it did when the movie first came out. Because people were probably, like, up in arms about this. Like, why is there a dance number in this movie? <laughs> but now it's like, why aren't there more dance numbers in this movie? <laughs> this is fucking amazing. I want the next Batman movie to be a full-on musical by Lynn Manuel Miranda. <laughs> Dude, okay. Okay, look. Hollywood, you're listening. Did I just do that pitch? Is that the pitch? This, we have, this has to be done. <laughs> We need a Batman musical written and starring. Starring? Sure, starring. If, he's, if he's open to it. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Make right. it happen, guys. You will make all of the money. Literally every the money. Yes. Yeah. Let's claim right now a solid 6%. Why did I go so low? 17%. 17% of the gross. Not the net profits, because Hollywood has some weird way of making its accounting so that no movie ever makes a profit. Yeah, what Sam said, Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. I've read enough articles about you. 
I know your weird accounting trickery ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm waving my finger at you, but you can't. <laughs> you can't see it. Because I don't have fingers because I'm a manatee. I'm waving my my um my fins at you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To that I know what you do with your movies. Though I am a manatee as well, I am still wearing a Batman t-shirt, Batman underwear, and Batman pants. (laughs) I think it's appropriate. Uh, I am looking forward to taking some of this off because it's, it's, it's a lot of kind of thick, dark material and it's, it was in the triple digits here today. Yeah, it was, well, it was approximately 700 degrees outside today. Yeah. Uh, Underwater yeah. was a little cooler. Yeah, but not not much. And and even now, a bit later in the evening, it's still about a hundred and forty degrees outside. So yeah, <sighs> yeah. It's, I'm I'm happy that. Um, I don't know if anyone can hear this, but I'm happy that some of the uh, some of the, the the people who were recording this decided to set up some swamp coolers mm-hmm. and swamp fans and, and you know have it on during this entire episode because. I was gonna suffer otherwise. Well, and it's, I think, worth bringing up just talking about, you know, the fact that we even need swamp coolers, and it's, I think, partially why we make sure that we, Matinee Manatees does donate. Right, Sam? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which you all, wonderful listeners, can do over at patreon.com slash matinemanities, where uh, half of all... half of all patron donations after hosting costs are covered will go towards Manatee Habitat Preservation. Uh, so... And, and I think I heard recently that uh, you guys had gotten enough uh, supporters, is that right? Where it's... Uh, we're starting to be able to get some... some some more funding out since costs are beginning to be covered. Yeah, absolutely. We have, uh, we, I think a few months ago, we actually did cross 
the uh, cross the threshold of covering hosting costs completely. So yeah, we're we're gonna start giving. I think the way the way I phrased it in one of the intros was we're paying it forward by giving back. That's pretty cool, oh, man. Yeah, I know. I came up with that shit on my own somehow. <laughs> Occasionally I can be smart. It's 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 rare when it happens. <laughs> But it's it's nice when it does. Well, I have enjoyed this. Yeah, um, I And uh, I, go ahead. I think we should. I think we should do this more often. Oh well, first of all, yes, we're off I'm the cool. rails now, so. <laughs> Ben. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we have to because we killed Ben. So Ben's dead. Tony's dead. Yeah. Who else has guessed it? I think it's just those two. So it's down to us. us. Yeah. So the concern right. is, are you going to kill me or am I going to kill you? That's the mystery we're going to leave everyone on. And we'll find, you'll find out next time. <laughs> yeah! Another brand new episode of uh, Matinee Manatees. So, uh, I'm I'm Sam, and I am Anthony, and never done this before. We we love. Let's yeah. You want to do it on three? Yeah. One, two, we love you. Goodbye. to you by our patrons over at patreon.com slash matineemanities. If you'd like to support the show, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all proceeds after hosting costs will go towards actual manatee habitat preservation. You can listen to Matinee Manatees on iTunes, the Stitcher app, and YouTube. Our music was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find this track and much more on his website, incompetech.com. <laughs>